Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Oh, look at that. Hi, Jim. Hi, HW. Hey, hey. Yeah, so we're here with uh, HW, also known as Tone Junkie. Well, hello there. Many names. <laughs> um, for those of the uninitiated, he is pretty much the king of the Kemper right now. Um, I know that people talk about Michael Britt a lot, but um, to be completely frank, like Michael Britt's a, an incredible profiler. Um, but I feel like you have really created this like community around the Kemper and have infused it with so much love and care and have given me a ton because I'm, I'm a Kemper user. I've actually only been a Kemper user for about a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, uh, Jim, do you have something you wanted to reveal? Is there? Oh yeah. So I, I got this nitty gritty. I got this piece of gear and I thought it was important. I thought it was important to share it because who doesn't need more cowbell? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, really? Really? <laughs> so Jim, they sell those, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was. It, it's a collector. I I had to pay extra for this little guy. I got him Jim, fresh in the box. Yeah, Jim is known for being a collector. Like that's oh, weird stuff. Thing. So all right. Uh, yeah. Hence the Game of Thrones shirt, and there's a Game of Thrones blanket somewhere in the background, and. He collects brands of strings, obviously, and all sorts of other fun stuff. Um, Ours. You collect amplifiers. Man, um, I, I can yeah. relate with collecting because I have a bit of an obsessive personality. And so ever since a young age, I've always had little collections of all sorts of stuff from rocks to uh, paper clips to uh, whatever. Uh, and, and, and yeah, lately amplifiers, but, um, yeah, I, they, they, thank you for calling me the King of the Kemper. I call Michael Britt. I still call him King Michael. And, uh, but I, I just put it like this to me, when I got into the Kemper world, I figured he was Coca-Cola and, uh, there was room for Pepsi. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm, I'm more of a Coke fan myself, but I'll be Pepsi. You know what I mean? It's, uh, whatever people prefer, maybe Coke and root beer. I'm a root beer guy. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, but like, so it's not just so like Michael Britt's impact on the scene because it because up until recently, it really felt like he wasn't involved um, too much in like the the uh, social media aspects of it. Yeah, right. Um, and then, of course, you've gotten him into several podcast interviews and now you're doing the that Kemper show with him and that kind of thing, which is great, by the way. Yeah. Um, and uh, what's what's cool about it, though, is that like you guys feed off each other. Very much so. I feel like your profiles are kind of like um, an extension of what he does, but in a different way. Uh, yeah. They don't really necessarily match one another, note for note. Like his profiles come, I would say, more like, and this is just, you know, picking on genre a little bit, but more from like the country rock scene. Whereas your your profiles definitely lean more towards like the, um, like the modern uh, praise and worship scene. But also, I also hear a lot of like, you know, the late, late teens you know like kind of cold play stuff in there and that kind of thing too yeah, so, yeah. um but yeah you know, it's interesting because i don't think people who are familiar with the kemper realize how much the profiler puts their personality into what they're doing and sure also how little that actually has an effect on the end profiles too because i have done some insane manipulation with some of your stuff i am not 
in either of those veins as far as like a country rock player or I'm I'm mostly a jazz fusion guy myself. So yeah. when I get into your profiles, like I'm like, oh okay, so here's a Marshall and it's really bright and I'm like, take the take the presence down. Take it down, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, put some put some high cut and stuff on there and and they come out really good most of the time. So um, it's yeah, but don't over. don't take it too personally because he also gets the ones from the metal guys and he goes, oh, I need to put a little brightness in here. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> the complete opposite. Like, in, in fact, he's absolutely right. I got some from Synmix. Uh, I have so your Triple Crown profiles, the the TC fifty you did a while back, were, were really yeah. good. I had already had the Synmix ones at that point, but what I didn't like was like there was nothing mid gain or clean in there, or mm-hmm. if there it, it, or the ones that were were kind of like mediocre. So when your stuff came out, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can just go get these, and this will give me everything I need in terms of the the um that that range of things. But uh, yeah, and I don't know how to even get close to what Synmix does with, with in terms of gain. I have no, I don't, I yeah. you know, I've had a lot of amps. I turn them on ten, they still don't get as gainy as some of the stuff out there. So I don't know how those guys do it. But but that's not my scene. You know what I mean? And so um, I do like what you're saying. You know it. it you always bring, you know, you always bring your own ear to it. And, um, you know, I always bring kind of how I would, would, um, would want to play something. And sometimes that does like translate. Yeah, definitely into something that, um, I have a reputation of having a, like a brighter sound, you know, um, sometimes, uh, Embrit, they, they say, uh, they call it dark or warm, you know, it's funny though. When we, when we talk, when I talk to him, you know, he's like, I don't think my stuff's warm. And I always say like, well, I, I do think myself is bright, but, you know, but, but that's usually the voice, you know, a lot of times I'm, I'm after, and it's guitar specific too. And I find, um, to, I don't know, to me, what I, what I want out of different amps is different. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, sometimes I try, like on the TC 50, I tried to, uh, you know, I, I tried to be modern, but not, not go overly, you know, overly bright. Cause that's not an amp I would, I would probably choose uh in my top 10 you know what i mean uh i'm more of a vintage leaning guy but something like that is so versatile that um you know you can't it can do everything so you, you got to try to cover everything and that can be a challenge man because you know even just it, it, it the challenge i always run into is um guitar players today are really spoiled in terms of how easy it is to like manipulate sound and gear and stuff and you know, all, you know, back, um, I would say just in the nineties and before, you know, it was pretty difficult to switch a speaker out with a different mic quickly for your average guitar player. Cause it involved getting screwdrivers and tools and everything. And now you just flick a switch and the IR changes, you know what I mean? And, um, that introduces now a whole thing where you can hear mic setups and speakers that, that really sound almost nothing alike right next to each other. You know, you can hear an EV with a 57 and then you can also hear a fat head on like, uh, um, I don't know, on like an old, uh, Jensen Alnico or something. And you can hear like how incredibly different those are and hearing them back to back without the, you know, 20 minute speed change of a speaker and microphone, you know, that time that allows your ear to reset. It really is, um, you realize how bright something could be or how warm something could be, you know, and still kind of be a guitar tone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to give you some background on, on uh, me and, and how crazy I yeah. am, um, yeah. I've been having some conversations with one of our, our uh, Facebook group listeners. And he, he's a big proponent on not, uh, on non-sutterless cables. 
He wants or he wants to go to solder yeah, cables, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah. I decided I'm probably gonna go back to solder cables anyway because I want to lose some high end. But and it gives me more versatility because I'm using George Ellis sure. right now. So like what we did is we sure. did we actually did an A B test on a one foot length of cable. Yeah. Just yeah. to hear the difference. Like and I actually recorded Cubase posted in the group. I mean, and you couldn't even I mean the technology didn't even exist for people to be able to record at home like sure. that. Sure. As little as, you know, twenty yeah. years ago. So yeah. it, you know, it's we're in a different world and, and that stuff's all attainable. And I think we're starting to see that kind of happen in the guitar world more than it ever has. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's yeah. devices like the pod and stuff that existed, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, you know, the 90s. Oh, my God. And oh, my God. I just don't feel like those devices. <laughs> one of our um, one of our Facebook group listeners and, and sponsors of the show, um, Practical Guitarist. Not Practical We are the Practical Guitarist. Uh, <laughs> one of our sponsors of the show, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups, um, he... Uh, is Nick Bongers is the the uh, builder over there, and he has been a big proponent of you know digital modeling hides nuances of pickups and stuff. And really, actually, one of the things that really sold the Kemper for me was like we sat down in a room at Gearfest, and I was already planning on buying the Kemper, and he plugged in, and we pulled up the the deluxe profile that is you know stock on the the uh, Kemper that makes it, but um, and we did the. Uh, one of the stones riffs, you know, and we rolled back the volume knob and it was like night and day different. Yeah, and yeah. that's when I realized yeah, yeah. like we're there. We've already hit it. I know a lot of people and this is going to be blasphemy. A lot of people listening to probably are some hate mail, but I really feel like, you know, people have talked about that. Uh, uh, the moment when modeling reaches the pinnacle of, you know, regular old analog technology. And mm-hmm. I think we're there. Mm-hmm. I just think that people haven't opened their mind to it yet. Like it's still kind of shrouded in the voodoo of, you know, it's not, it's not useful. It's still not the amp in the room thing, which I get that. But in reality, um, I think, and this is more blasphemy. I think the amp in the room thing is purely for us. Yeah. Well, yeah, totally. It is. Sure. I mean, you have to be inspired too. Yeah, I'll give you my take on that. You know, I, um, I mean, I was a total tube amp purist and I was late to the Kemper game. So I have not, even though, you know, now I have a reputation as like, you know, uh, a real digital sort of uh, uh, rogue, you know, that was not really my journey into, uh, into guitar, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I still love amps. I mean, I have a huge collection of amps. Um, there's a, I can't really pick it up, but there's a, there's a train wreck uh, right here, literally on my desk right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, I love tube amps. I love playing stuff at home. Um, I never got it. I mean, I had a pod, but to me it was a toy. You know, I didn't, didn't really, I didn't really take it out. And, um, but my experience was, was really, I, um, I, when I moved to Nashville, um, I started seeing a lot of Kempers around and I just started playing with guys and I went on a Sunday morning and I was playing at this church for the first time. And, um, uh, I put in my in-ears and I brought my, my Sir Bella, you know, my $2,000 amplifier and I had my Sir guitar and I had the Strifecta and a King of Tone and, you know, some clone pedal. Um, and, uh, so I had, I had, I had probably 2k at each one of those guitar amp thing. My tone was great. You know what I mean? Like top quality, everything. And, um, you know, I had my ears in and, you know, they gave me a 57 like they always do. You know, wherever you go, they give you 57. And um, I put that on my amp and I played a little and it sounded uh, it sounded like it always did. And then I thought the track started and the guitars were still in the in the track. Um, but then I looked over and realized 
oh no, that was the other guitar player playing. And he sounded so polished and mixed and produced. I thought they were playing a track with the guitars in it because we were playing and there was some pads on a track, you know? And um, I was like, wow, what is that? And I went over and he had a Kemper. And um, and then I, I met, you know, two other guys in the first like two weeks of being in Nashville that had Kempers. And um, and I went, wow, this is this is really cool. So I bought a Kemper and then uh, uh, people said, you got to download uh, Michael Britt stuff. You got to check out his stuff. He's got the golden signal chain, they used to say, you know. And, uh, and he, what's funny is he says what a signal chain is. It's it's not it's not even like snobby gear. You know, <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. And um, and I went, wow, this is really great. And yeah, to me, um, I, I look at all this modeling stuff like, um, you know, I don't know how people feel about electric cars and stuff, but I'm a fan. But, you know, we've had electric cars for a long time, but that doesn't mean we had really good ones until uh, until semi recently. You know what I mean? And and so um, to me, when I when I think of sound and stuff, I, I, I break it down like like this, you know, sound is all just waves in the air and it's traveling and sound really exists in your head. You know what I mean? You've got these like two microphones on the side of your on the sides of your head that that pick up all this sound and you know, they're never really in phase with each other. And, um, you know, they just, they, they pick up what's going on around you. And then your brain tells you whether that's good or bad, bright, mid range, you know, whatever, whatever's pleasing. And, um, because of that, you know, I, I stopped believing in, uh, in sort of the voodoo stuff, you know, tube warmth and, and fragile harmonics, because it's all just waves in the air and it gives you a sensation. And so you should be able to, reproduce that through some digital means. Nothing's impossible. There's no, there's no special things that a tube can produce through a guitar speaker that some other source can't produce. Now, whether we're at the point where the models are correct, you know, or, or, you know, the capture tech is really getting all of it. That's a, that's a, you know, up for debate. And I think there are a lot of differences um, still, uh, but tubes do a really beautiful thing, man. They compress in a really beautiful way. They break up in a really great way. They just have great color. And um, yeah, you know, modeling will get there. Yeah. If it's let me, not let me ask you this. So <clears throat> in uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, uh, tubes, this yeah. is when it comes to a tube amp, if you have it turned up enough to hear it, I don't think uh, there is an echo. Somewhere there's an echo. But anyway, um, I don't think that that it really makes a difference to me. Sure. But as soon as you turn that um, tube amp up, you get up there, you know what I'm talking about, where you've got it past uh, a certain point where your gain is coming from the tubes, where your compression, whatever compression you want, is coming from the tubes. Yeah. That's when you, I think that's when the magic happens. That's when a tube amp really starts to sing to me. I think that's what scares a lot of, of folks because um, when I talk to people, I'm uh, Dave knows I'm all in. I'm gonna uh, I'm getting a Kemper stage. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that, uh, and I'll be I'll be downloading all your stuff. So, well, hey, <laughs> hey man, got, I, let me. Get, I'm gonna give a shameless plug for a minute. If you're looking to get a Kemper stage, there is a Tone Junkie loaded Kemper stage that costs the same as all the rest, and it comes with all the all the Tone Junkie uh, packs. Uh, already in there. Well, actually, I just send it to you and you put them in. But oh, cool. Shameless yeah. plug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait until the wacky deal and get the uh, get the profiles for an outrageously low price. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But um, anyway, what I was uh, what I was saying is that's when the magic for me happens in a in yeah. a uh, you know when I'm sitting in this room right here. I've got my Marshall right here. I got my Fender right there, and I 
and I could turn the Marshall up and, and it just, there's a certain point where I'm not playing the guitar anymore. It's kind of playing itself. I'm just kind of telling it what to do. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean yeah. by the difference in that? Yeah, it feels very alive, you know, and you get, um, you, you get all the wonderful compression that, that, that tubes give you. And, um, it just feels, you know, a, a, a big part of that sensation is being loud in a room too, you know, and, uh, you get all the reflection from the space you're in. And, um, that's, that's a, that can be a hurdle, um, with any sort of direct solution is you get, you're now listening to a source that's mimicking or created from a mic'd source, you know, a mic'd guitar cab, which is not the way we sort of prefer to listen as guitar players. Um, so it, that can be a, a challenge for sure. But like we were saying earlier, you know, um, it, 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 that's just, that's really for the guitar player in the room loud. And one of the things I always tell people is, you know, we never, we never heard Hendrix's amps. We only heard his amps through mics, through pre, and then, you know, whatever they were doing to it. So, yeah. Well, you heard, okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, and that's, yeah, <laughs> but, but that's sort of the, um, yeah, but believe me, it was a really loud amp on a really loud stage with I, a lot of people. <laughs> and I, I was very young. I believe I've heard, um, I've heard some great players live, you know, some, some, uh, uh, mayor and Aldi Miola and stuff. And, um, uh, Joey Landreth, Robin Ford, you know, and, and, and there's there, you can hear some really great live guitar and it really is, it's a different thing, you know, to hear like a trio or a, or a four piece and a really talented guitar player, just go to town and, and the instrument is the voice, you know? Um, but for a lot of us, you know, we're not like a, maybe we don't have a, a band named after ourselves, you know? And so we might be playing a part, you know, we're playing in a rock band or in a whatever band. And, um, to me, things like the Kemper and the Helix and stuff, it, it, it's a tool that allows you to, um, really take control of the entire signal chain. Whereas, um, if you stop at the amplifier, you do kind of leave yourself at the mercy of a sound guy and whatever, whatever stuff is available. And you're always at the mercy of the sound guy, but if you can take a little more and put it in your control and maybe just ask the sound guy to leave your channel flat, you know, you can, you can try to try to, you know, fix some of the problems before they come up. You know, so it's like a tool, you know, I mean, I, I, um, I view the Kemper as like, you know, part of, part of the arsenal. If I had to only have one, I would, I would keep the Kemper, but, um, I'm much happier having amps along with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I still have my Mesa Boogie over here. Um, you know, and it's, you know, I, I, I fully, in fact, I'm putting together an analog board right now so I can start taking that thing out for certain occasions yeah but the yeah. reality but, is like i've been doing I, I, I do a lot of open mics I, in my area when you know covid 19 is not happening and uh <laughs> i was doing three or four a week for most weeks um and this was super convenient i roll my road case in there take it out put it on the stage plug it in i don't have to worry about the sound guy like not having a microphone for me or anything like that i just have to have an xlr cable and that's it sure um, sure and that makes it super easy to deal with, especially because I play to tracks a lot of times. So it's like, well, I'll just bring my looper pedal in in a direct box and I'm ready to go. Um, and you, I can't understate the convenience of just doing that. Although I think, I think it was like two episodes ago where I was complaining. I was like, well, I'm still carrying around the same amount of gear, basically. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like, like you said, there's a, there's a fallibility to miking up something. And, and that 
is you know not something you want to deal with in a in a you know like a showcasing kind of situation where you walk into a place and you're just going to play three songs and you're hoping to pick up a couple people mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. to you know either download your music or even just you know be aware of you like you want to make a good impression you don't want to make a bad impression so having something like a temper is a good uh good tool for that yeah no a hundred percent and and um with the way like uh even for the bigger acts um you know, touring is not what it used to be. Um, I'd see a bunch of guys like, uh, I've worked with Stu G who's, uh, from a band called delirious. And now he plays with, uh, Michael W Smith and some people kind of in the, in the, in the church world. And, um, you know, he got turned on to the Kemper just because the tour manager said we got three dates in Ireland. We're flying over there for this event. Yeah. And we got two other gigs. Would you, th- can we get you a Kemper? And he's like, what's a Kemper? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, now he, um, he's got one here. He does a ton of session work around town with it. Um, stuff on a thumb drive. Yeah. Yeah. Sticks it in, restores from backup, ready to rock and roll. And it's the same. And he used to tell him, you know, he, back in the day, yeah, I actually have some of his amps here because we profile them and stuff. And, um, some of these amps are still on two, uh, 240 or is it 220? What, you know, the, the, the UK voltage, you know? And so I've got a step down transformer, um, that I use on those if we want to plug them in here. But back in the day, he was telling me in the in the mid '90s, he had European amps in storage over there, and then American amps over here. And whatever they were doing, they'd go back and forth. And just the the, the expense of that at the time was just viewed as, well, that's what we have to do, you know. And that's yeah, yeah. And but now that you know, touring's not what it was. The margins aren't always there to support it, and the dates aren't always there. Um, I know a lot of guys in Nashville, um, especially guys like Michael Britt, you know, who, uh, is in a band called Lone Star, you know, and they're, they're, they're just, they're still, they had their hits and a lot Never of times the of concerts him. are, <laughs> yeah, and he'll tell you, he'll go, Hey, we get to do a record every two years and we're happy. And yeah, everybody wants to hear the hits. They want to hear the hits from, you know, uh, yesteryear and they know the stuff, but, but their challenge is they can make a living uh, being Lone Star, but they, they have to be smarter today than they used to have to be. You know, they used to be able to take on all sorts of extra expenses and bring extra people on the road, but now they've got to be smart in how they book and in how they plan. And all those guys can still make a living doing it, but they got to be smart. So what I wanted to ask, so, so like, obviously we know, I, at least I know, and I, I know Jim's aware of you as the, you know, the Kemper guy, but like, where did all this start? Like, how did you get into music? What were you, um, you know, the typical kid with like the guitar laying around and then you pick it up one day and just start playing it. Is that? Yeah. Somewhere around, uh, I, yeah, somewhere around 15 or so, I think I picked up the guitar and, um, uh, I don't remember why exactly. I mean, the Foo Fighters were big, you know, um, uh, you know, like bands like that, you know, uh, um, yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, the, the, they're the only band I mentioned because they're one of the only bands I'm still proud of that I listened to back then. You know, if, uh, so you're you not know. talking about your whole Nickelback collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. I'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> leave, I'll leave Blink 182 and Sum 41 out, but I'll mention Weezer yeah. and Foo Fighters. You know, <laughs> there you go. Those two. One would be one worth mentioning because they did the whole hair metal thing on the side that was really funny. They did. They did. They were a fun band. You know, nothing, nothing against them, but. um you know, it was it was for that time, and it. Um, Who's the guys that did uh, "Pretty Fly for a White Guy"? What what the heck? Offspring. Offspring. Was it? Was it I offspring? loved them. They were. That cool. was another one that you probably wouldn't be proud of. 
But I yeah. I loved those guys. I was <laughs> I, I'm one of those guys. I, I loved Lone Star. You talked about Lone Star earlier. Yeah. And I loved Lone Star. I mean, I was a huge fan of Lone Star. Um they uh Brinstead. <laughs> you can't, he's got one too. They're both at British Audio. <laughs> Believe it or not, yeah, I'm sure. <clears throat> Believe it or not. Tell him Tone Junkie sent you. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Um I uh um, I come from uh, upstate New York, and believe it or not, that's a huge country scene in upstate yeah. New York, um, right in the Albany, New York area. Um, you wouldn't believe uh, how many dates we played um, in the band I was in. I was in the North 40 band, yeah. um, and we, oh, God. But, yeah, um, when, you know, so when I heard your channel, when I heard your, you know, because you do the demo thing, as you know. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm yeah, not yeah. telling anything. I'm saying this more for the people listening than, than for you, obviously. Um, and I said, geez, this guy has got, he's got real good pop sensibility. You you do a good demo. You're not you're not out there showing us stuff that, like, um, is half-baked or look. No, no, no. I really do like this. No, no, no. You can tell. And, it, and it, like that person that's eating um, an ice cream cone that's made of marshmallow or, or um uh, mashed potatoes on television so it won't <laughs> yeah. melt under the lighting. You know what I'm talking about? And they're yeah, pretending they're to love it, but it's yeah. not real and it tastes awful, right? I mean, that's that's what you can see a lot of times in these demos. And you you definitely present the the music. I have to ask you this question, though. Yeah, there's got to be, if there's one amp you said to yourself, and I'm not saying one amp that you'd have Desert Island. This is this is my one amp. I was like, my one amp question is this. I'm not sure if it's the same as Dave's. David's it's it's this. Um, what is the one amp that you have profiled that you have or don't have borrowed or whatever that you said that's a magical amp? That's that's the oh you know that's you know that moment. Man, that's tough because you know uh, when I moved to Nashville, uh, I noticed there was a saying among the songwriters, and and songwriters in Nashville are like actors in L.A. You just throw a stone and you hit one, yeah. or, uh, you know, or 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 they're always the guy bringing you your salad, you know. Yeah, you know, he's got the next. Or asking if got you want fries with that. Yeah, yeah. And they have a saying, you know, what's 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 the best song you ever wrote, and the answer is the next one you know, or the one I'm working on, you know? And, um, so man, my first reaction is to say this train wreck sitting right next to me. Cause I've been playing that and I'm super excited about it lately, but, but, <laughs> but I probably would say that about any amp that I'm playing that week. You know what I mean? So to me, um, the ones that are magical, um, I, Stu G, uh, I've had it for a while here. It's his 62 AC 30, I think pre top boost AC 30. So anything from like maybe mid 63, I think they started putting top boosts, uh, um, you know, retrofit things with the controls on the back in there. So I'd say pre pre top boost AC 30s. I love top boost ones as well, but those pre ones are just something really nice about those speakers and, First time I ever heard one, it was uh, it was Stu G pulled out his 66 Gretsch, plugged in the 62 AC30, and he started playing Day Tripper. And it, it's just that sound, you know what I mean? It's like you realize, like, oh, there's no studio magic. That's just what that sounds like, you know? It's bright, and it's it's so bright it should hurt, and it does a little bit, but it feels good. You know, it hurts so good. Yeah. And um, it's, it's – uh, 
it's just a sound of rock and roll, man. So I might say that one, but um, you know, there's always another, there's always another amp that that is. Uh, there's so much magic in the guitar world. Can I share? Can I share a couple of my good profile experiences I've had with some of your stuff? Yeah, please, man. I'm, yeah. The everything pack the other night, obviously, and I started going through it, and 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 immediately for whatever reason, I just put the mini plexi on the yeah. uh, uh, yeah. plexi. I like those profiles. And I don't know whether it's just the amp or whether the way you recorded it, but they're they're good. Um, I like the triple crown. I'm not using them anymore, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm using the um, I'm using the two rock ruby. Mm. And uh, mm. so when I saw you had the Trainwreck Express, I'm like, mm, I'm gonna have to get that too. Um, and I also got Fillmore this weekend, uh, the Fillmore 50. Yeah. And I'm a huge yeah. fan of the Fillmore amp. I've gone back and forth on buying one several times while the show has been going on. And uh, I, I, you yeah. might have actually yeah. ended the gas for it because I can just pull it up in my Kemper. I play yeah. in a, um, yeah. like, I don't know, a bluegrassy, like, jam band sort of top 40s thing um, here locally that's just, you know, a little, little extra gig money here and there. Sure. And uh, sure. I'm using your deluxe reverb models for, or the profiles for that. Um, specifically, the I think it's the normal channel three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. or the, yeah. oh, it's the vibrato channel three. Um and the, the Fillmore is going to replace it, like yeah. without question. Yeah. Uh, they're just they're that good, and yeah. So those are really the ones that I've like really jived with, um, and I've, I mean, I'm I'm anxiously awaiting anything else you got coming out. You got that train wreck coming. That's that's going to be a big one. I can't wait to get that. I saw something about a Dumble steel string singer. It, I, there is, um, there's an amp here. Now I, I gotta say, it's not a real steel string singer. I think there's only, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, it's low. Um, it, it, you know, Stevie's is probably with, um, with his brother. Um, and it, yeah, I, it, that amp, no one, the thing is, if anyone knows where it is, it, it, it should be very recognizable. Um, I, it hasn't been seen in a long time. I know, so I think some, I, I, my understanding was Jimmy probably has it at this point. And, um, because it would surface, I feel like if it was out there or somebody's uh, holding on to it, they know what they have and they're just going to like keep it. Yeah. And there's a lot of rumors about it even being, having been made double wattage and stuff. So it's, uh, I, what I've heard people say is the best guess is it's, it, I mean, it's not what my point is. It's not even really a steel string singer anymore. It's it's something of its own. You know, my understanding was at one point it was it had the power section doubled, so it's a three hundred watt. Yeah, like a it, like a Marshall Major on. Yeah, yeah, and um, and because uh, because um, Howard was doing a lot, and and uh, Stevie was sending his stuff out. John Mayer's got number two. That's his famous one. Um, and that amp has gone around the number two steel string singer, and then Henry Kaiser has one. Uh, there's a, most of them are with their original owners, um, but there are some that float around. John, I, we believe has two, four, and possibly one other one. So, um, so John might have pretty much half the ones that are floating around out there, but the one I got is actually, um, it's a clone that was made by, um, it, it's got a little story behind it. There was, um, there's a video on YouTube, um, of a 25 watt, uh, Dumble overdrive special. And it's believed to be the only overdrive special that was made with six V6s. That was 25 watts. Currently for sale at Carter's. And there's some debate on whether it's um, an older fake or a real one or what. 
And uh, but you know, Howard would never speak up because he doesn't believe in. So he never uh, speaks up to anybody. I mean, it's like. No, and, and and so what happened was the owner of that amp basically made that YouTube video, you know, kind of in the earlier days of the internet, and um, people said this is what a dumble sounds like. So him and the guy from a company called Sabago Sound got together and they decided um, they were going to make twenty five uh, like exact replicas where they got the 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 lettering on the faceplate the same and everything and so they did that and the owner of that amp in ex kind of in exchange for probably some other compensation he asked can you make me a um I want an I want a steel string singer but I obviously I can't get one and so they made an exact copy of the number two steel string singer which had been circuit traced before John Mayer owned it because it belonged to uh, the owner of a guitar shop in Japan called Full Moon Music. So he had circuit traced it, a, you know, a while back. Um, and he was a Sabago Sound uh, distributor in Japan. So he gave the circuit trace to, apparently at that time it hadn't been on the internet yet, uh, at least for that number two, but other ones have been traced. And so they gave that. So that amp in there is... Um, uh, it's a it's a copy of number two, which is John's amp, um, and it has um, it. Well, put, I, I was, I guess they won't say that it has. Uh, the manufacturer will not say that these are the transformers that Dumble uses, but it's from the manufacturer who makes the transformers that Dumble uses in the Steel String Singer. So, is it the same? Maybe. Is it not? Maybe. But I'll tell you, when I plug into that thing, it sounds like a John Mayer record. It really does. Um, so, you know, they, they well, they're doing going to be really excited to hear those profiles. And the challenge is I actually, I just ordered a silver sky because I thought, well, I gotta have that for the demo. And I figure I, I need something to really just say, well, I referenced the sound with, with this, you know, cause strats are different. My strat, I have a strat I love, but you know, if I dial in the amp for that strat, maybe someone else will feel like it's not quite right for theirs or something. So I always love to say here are my guitars, but for this one, I'm going to say, uh, if you're really a John fan, you can at least buy a Silver Sky, and I tried to nail it with the Silver Sky, you know? So, uh, we've had some technical difficulties. Uh, apologize for any audio inconsistencies. We're going to try to patch this episode together up till this point. Um, I forget where we left off, but we've been having an interesting conversation. There's been lots of stuff been, uh, talked about. But you, I think you were talking about how you got started in music. Um, you weren't originally yeah. from Nashville. You're from, from out in the West Coast, right? San Francisco, yeah, born and raised out there. What? Uh, so, were you? Did you start getting into music as like in the, as part of the praise and worship scene, or was that more um, from like secular music in that perspective? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was a good amount um, because of the praise and worship scene. I started learning from. Um, I mean, I just started learning songs and chords and stuff, you know. And um, you know, I was into bands, you know, like I said, the Foo Fighters right. and Weezer and stuff. And but. Um, then I started taking lessons from a guy uh, who was playing at my church, and he had been in a band called, um, uh, oh gosh, Jet Boy. And they had like, you know, they had toured and played with Guns N' Roses and had a couple songs on MTV back in the back in the 80s and stuff, and um, late 80s, uh, into the early 90s. And um, so he was like, uh, he was like a real rocker kind of dude, and uh, he was a real character. And... Um, he uh, he sort of started teaching me how to play with a band and and that's where I got the first practical application. He needed to go like on vacation or something and he needed somebody to play. So he said, uh, all right, go ahead and uh, take my spot for a weekend. 
So that was sort of, you know, thrown in the deep end of the pool and just started playing um, with those guys and did my first recording uh, with that, with that church there. We did a couple records. I did two records. Um, and then I start me and some, some friends started a band uh, and we just did, um, you know, we did like some fun covers, uh, but it was mostly original stuff. We would just throw in, you know, some fun like dance things or something uh, just to get the crowd kind of going. But um, we had a little following, just played the pubs and clubs in San Francisco for a couple years. And then, um, you know, people started having babies and stuff. And, you know, it, I don't know. I was willing to cut my teeth, you know, out, out on the, uh, you know, sort of out in the uh, in the dive bars. But they were um, they were a bit older than me, too. So they, I think they were a little over it. Uh, and so, but I consistently I've sort of played in church my whole, my whole life on and off at different things. You know what I mean? Different conferences. I've done a couple fly dates for people out here in Nashville since, since I moved here, just indie artists and stuff. Um, you know, anybody with real money is going to get a real professional. And then the people with no money <laughs> might call me, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, listen, if you're a guitar player in Nashville, you, um, no matter what level you're at, you know, somebody uh, at, you know, at your same level, who's trying to be an artist who probably needs a guitar player. So, um, if you'll play for a sandwich, you'll play, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and if you'll play as a favor, yeah. you'll play. And so, uh, you know, there's a ton of people that, you know, you'll, you end up doing the favor for once you're getting known as a guy who will say yes sometimes. So, but sometimes the perks are cool. You know, sometimes it's like, um, you know, I've had a couple of gigs where it's like, we'll, we'll fly you out here and we'll do that. And there's, you know, there's like some food uh, money included, but there's really no, you know, I couldn't make a living doing it. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's sort of where I play and what I do. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it's it's interesting, though, because like I don't think people realize that you can. You can have diverse income streams and not necessarily be like a full scale professional musician and, you know, sure. par- at least partially support yourself through music. I don't, I don't know whether you have a day job or not. I'm, I'm, it's not really all that important, but I think most of our listeners have day jobs. Um, and yeah, I, I just don't, I'll, I'll answer. Quickly. I, I did. Um, I had a day job. So I actually moved from San Francisco to Nashville uh, to open an office out here for a company I was working for. And it was a family mm-hmm. business. And it was a company my dad started a long time ago. And um, I was running that company for several years, but it was boring. It was really boring. It was like uh, <laughs> we sold uh, Dickies and Carhartt and like men's apparel, you know, and we did a lot of um, uh, branding and embroidery stuff. And, and yeah. uh, we, so, you know, t- and we would sell to small and medium sized businesses. And, uh, you know, that business is really in trouble right now when all the businesses close, nobody's buying clothing. But um, about a year being into Nashville, I kind of started doing the Tone Junkie thing. And uh, it slowly just crept its way up uh, to now it's now it's what I do full time. You know, I just make content. I make videos. I make IRs. I, you know, and I do that stuff. And um, yeah, it's been a it's been a weird journey. And, And what you said was, you know, diverse income streams. That's something I notice a lot of the guys out here um, in the music world are really having to do all the guitar players eventually become producers all the producers were touring guys who then became uh uh, session guys and uh, nobody does one thing you know it used to be you were a guy on the road or you were in sort of the session scene but um you know those days are gone and even now uh, i was just talking to my friend uh um 
my friend Jacob Lowry, who's a uh, um, he plays for uh, sorry, he who plays um, he plays for um, oh gosh, who does he play for? Uh, Michael McDonald, and um, he was just telling me how um, even with this COVID thing, sort of the the last beacon are these big producers that um, are just they're holding on to what's left of let's get in the studio together and record in a room rather than let me send work to you. Let me send work to you. Let me, all, all the other studios are doing that. All the home studios are doing that. All the independent studios are doing that, but there's still some of the big studios and they know that once they let that go, it's sort of going to disappear. You know, it's all going to be, I'll send you the track. And, and so, um, and they're holding on to that, but largely the past probably 20 years, everybody in the music industry, LA, Nashville, whatever has had to, start wearing multiple yeah, hats they're, they're spokesperson. i mean yeah. you could see it um from the mm -hmm. from the gear endorsement side of things for sure because like sure i can remember when like the only people that really had real gear endorsements were like eddie van halen and now yeah. it's you know everybody has some piece of gear that they're you know going to nam to show off for somebody and i mean there's not anything wrong with that um, I don't like playing signature guitars, but that's my my own personal hang up. Obviously, no one else cares. Um, sure. But I I look at the situation and I go when you start to see people like looking at, when when guys like um, who's the dude from the Misfits? Um, his name escapes me. Oh, uh, Doyle. Oh, crap. Doyle. I could see his when yeah. Do when Doyle yeah. starts doing lessons online. Like you know, there's yeah. something up, right? Like you're like these guys got to make some some money somehow because um. You know, Doyle's not exactly the guy that you, if you really want to learn how to play guitar, that you want to take lessons from, unless you're looking for style lessons. You know what I mean? Yeah, and those guys come from a time too where they don't own them. They probably don't own the masters. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And whatever residual they did get has been just decimated by streaming because their deals didn't include, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah, so, I mean, we all um, know, like when Static Age came out, that record was like a collection of a bunch of their stuff, and they, everybody was suing everybody over it because nobody knew who was getting the money mm -hmm. for what. <laughs> so yeah i gotta say um so i literally speaking of, of streams uh income streams so i bought my first um nice strat from a uh used store a little small store in albany new york and you guys wouldn't have heard of this band but they were they were big in the 80s this band called china white in front of them and they were a metal band yeah <clears throat> and they were they were really big well, the guitar player and and founder of the band was the guy who sold me my guitar. I mean, that's that's what he was doing. Right. He was working part time in a guitar shop in Albany, right on right on uh, um, you know one of the main streets coming out of the city in a little place called Colony and your way out. And uh, it's just funny because here I am buying you know a used Strat for five hundred bucks. It was a, an American made Strat. That's how long ago this was, guys. Right? I mean. <laughs> What you remember twenty years ago? Um, but uh, I think yeah, I, I, I bought then. my Strat, and I, <laughs> I think what's I was that? Yeah, I, like you guys were like kids. Yeah, I like we like making guitar. fun of Jim's age. That's like a recurring theme on this show. So I'm gonna. I was in my thirties. Yeah. <laughs> you just gotten out of the military? No, you probably weren't even out of the military at that point. Oh, I was you, out of the military. Yeah, okay, so yeah, you were out retired. of the military at that yeah. point. All right. Jim's former Navy, so. Yep. 
Um, uh, yeah, retired uh, 99. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve. He doesn't like, you know, when you we introduce yourself, Jim's like, I'm not, or I'm former Navy. That's not what he, that's not Jim. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, if you could see behind me, um, behind the screen. Yeah. He's have it hanging over here. I have a Julian calendar, so I know what day, because I work for the government. That's right. my day yeah. gig, right? And uh, so, yeah, I have to know what day of the year it is. Not day of the year, but day right. of the year. Which day? So I know that it's the 147th day, something like that, 48th day. So it's it's a Julian date, uh, 24, 20, uh, 2147. But yeah, you got to have uh, <clears throat> um, stuff like that. But well, my point is, you know, you talk about these streams. I was watching Andy Aladort today on his on his um, Facebook page. I really like Andy Aladort. He's a he's a great guitar player. Uh, played with Double Trouble for a while and did, you know, stood in um, and played with Dickie Betts and so on and so forth. And he's like, yeah, if you guys want to take any lessons, hit me up. I'm like, all right, I'm going to find out how much it is to take lessons with from Andy Aladort because I'm going to take some lessons from Andy Aladort. And that's sure. that's amazing that I have all of his books, you know, and uh, including his la latest one about Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, so I'm like. That that to me, that's an incredible opportunity, though. I mean, you're talking about people taking lessons from Doyle just to be able to say, you know what? I took a lesson from my guitar hero, you know, sure. that kind of thing. That's, sure. That's cool. Um, I'm looking for my notepad. But David Gilmore's not giving lessons, so. I don't know. He, he gives lessons every time he gets on like, stage. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so what – Amp wise, like what what have you got in the room with you right now? Because I see some stuff. I see the Fillmore over there. I see the Mesa Boogie California. Well, I, I wish I could show you. I I wish I could show you in the other room because yeah, that's, that's really where I've is. got everything. Yeah. But what's in here is um, I do have the Fillmore over here, and um, there's a California Tweed. Those two Mesas, and um, and then I've got a broken JRT from Divided by Thirteen behind me. Uh, I'm not sure what's wrong with it, but the, somebody will tell me when I bring it in. And then uh, that's a 412, just a 412 Marshall with 20 watt greenbacks in it. Um, and I really, what stays in here with me is just um, whatever, whatever I'm working weaker out, or I'm changing tubes, or doing something like that, or I'm just playing stuff in here to to figure out kind of what sounds are in an amp before I'm going to profile it, or before I'm going to, um, you know, kind of just do irs or whatever with it or just having fun. But um, in the other rooms where I got my um, the kind of the video set. Uh, uh, set up and that's there's there's too many amps in there there's too many amps. yeah too too many uh there you can never have too many of them i disagree <laughs> you can only have too small a space where you can't play them um right if, especially if you're, i'm in a condo that's actually why the kemper is so dear, near and dear to my heart because it's the only thing i can do that will not get me evicted well not evicted but fined by the association but um it's you know I think a lot of people forget that there are modern living situations too. There was a time when like being loud between the hours of nine and nine was okay. And now it seems like people are so inhospitable to one another that if you live in a neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, being loud is not permissible really. And I know like my parents growing up um, in the house where we grew up, we, we weren't right on top of our neighbors. In fact, uh, there was a pond on the backside of our property. It's a big park. And um, we, we had a decent air gap. And I had, you know, 175 watt solid state 212, you know, combo, which was 
really loud. And the couple of times I turned it up, I never got the cops called on me. But my brother with the stereo system in his car got the cops called on him all the time. Right. Um, so it's, you know, just it's about respect now, I guess, more than more than, you know, people just accepting that your neighbors are going to do things that are a little loud sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm lucky where I am right now um, because um, we we built this house. And um, that's a, a concept that was completely foreign to me growing up in, in San Francisco because, you know, there was no more space for houses <laughs> when right. I was born. Yeah, it's like they all share a wall. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, right. Yeah. And then uh, but moving to Nashville, they still build a lot of houses out here. So I'm actually in the, in the burbs out here about 20 minutes south of Nashville in a city called Franklin. And down here, they still build a lot. And um, uh, so we built this house. And, um, you know, you go to a neighborhood and choose your spot and they got floor plans and stuff, you know, and now everybody's there. Just come by by it while we're (laughs) now all the pros are there. I mean, even Robin Ford is relocated to Nashville, which is pretty amazing. And so you can run into those cats and the music and stuff like that. There's um, there's a million people down here uh, in kind of Franklin, like specifically even because um, it's kind of become uh, it's it's always this county down here is always where uh, kind of where the producers kind of were and lived and um but anyway uh what i've completely lost my train of thought what were we what were we, I was we were talking about, we were talking about the, between houses oh yes yeah I'm, I'm very lucky because down here um we got a lot that would accommodate a basement and we weren't looking for that but i i told my wife i don't know what i was thinking at the time but i said we should get that basement because we're, <laughs> we're, we'll find a use for it i didn't yeah, have any you sure will <laughs> yeah yeah so now I've pretty much taken over the basement. My kids still come down here and play Nintendo, you know, but, um, but um, other than that, it's all, it's all my space down here. And we had this unfinished area kind of in the center of the basement downstairs. So it's cement on two sides and then, uh, you know, regular walls on the other sides, but it's in the center of the house in the basement. This big unfinished room that just had like an HVAC unit. Yeah. The, the bunker thing. And realized, <laughs> I realized I could build a sound booth in here, like an amp booth in here. And so I framed um, like a nine by six uh, a room in there, uh, about 11 feet tall. And I've got a bunch of cabs in there. And then I just run the cables out uh, into my little office over here. And so, um, man, I could I can put a Plexi on 10 with a 412 in there. And they're not going to hear me upstairs, you know. I'm the kids in my mind right now. Um, yeah, you can hear me a little in the backyard, but um, it's it it works. And it's um, if you if you have an extra room and you can turn into an amp room, I uh, an amp booth, I highly suggest it because it's it's very fun. I, yeah, my plan is to do that. I have a, so I have a small house in Chesapeake, Virginia. Yeah, um, that's where I am here. And so, but right behind me, literally right behind me, is a is a studio already. The guy who owned the place before me had already made, you know how you, you put the walls within the walls, yeah, you know, yeah. you build, you put a, a small room within a room, right? It's already done that way. And so it's, a, it's got all the, the foam out beside of it and it's got everything else. And um, so Perfect. the, the guy never finished the inside as far as making it where it wouldn't echo, but uh, I'm going to work on that. And <clears throat> um, anyway, uh, what I was getting at is though, even in this room, which uh, you could ask David, it wasn't that long ago. This yeah, when he started any... putting up the acoustic treatment, it was like night and day different. So yeah, um, but I've had my amps cranked in here, and I've asked my neighbors, "Have you ever?" And we're talking middle of the night. We're talking like I'll get up in yeah, the middle like of the eleven night, o'clock. Go, Jim and I are talking. And he's got his uh, his uh, Marshall on like you know seven. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, I've asked them, has it ever bothered you? They go, we've never heard you. Yeah. Never heard you. Well, my neighbors say <laughs> the same thing, to Jim, but I know they're full of crap. <laughs> no, no, seriously. We, but everybody's so used to the train going by, they've sure. already either, you know, they've got some kind of ambient noise probably going to their homes or something mm-hmm. where they're, or they're just used to blocking everything out. Cause I, I've never had a complaint ever, which I, I'm so lucky. I'm like, some, <laughs> somebody asked me recently, they go, um, you know, are you thinking about relocating? I said, why? <laughs> right. They said, well, you only have one bathroom. I said, yeah, but I have this privacy. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm willing to give, I can always put another bathroom in. I can't, Get the privacy, you know, I have. That's true. So I had a couple more Kemper-related questions. I don't know. We would try to run through them real quick. And then – Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, we had a guitar. Then I got to ask my guitar question. Yeah, the guitar let's, – let's hit the guitar question so yeah, we don't forget. Yeah, um, yeah. So what is – you You have, like myself and like David, you have a few guitars, a few different guitars. What is the one guitar that that's the one you gravitate to? That's the one that says, hey, I'm, I'm – uh, it's Goldie, is the guitar. I'm, I'm gonna grab. I'm gonna grab. I've got all three in here, but I'm gonna grab one real quick. So I just happen to have this oh. one. It's the closest one to me right now because I was using it earlier. I was actually using three guitars today while I was doing this train wreck pack, and I, and so those three guitars are probably my answer. Um, this might be a little washed out on the. Yeah, it's the bl- the baby blue one. We. I, yeah, yeah. If you I haven't got, seen his videos, you've seen yeah. it. <laughs> got this yeah. Screen in front of me. Let me see if I can. So, sir, right? Yeah, it's yep. a sir, and I'm a big fan of these um, of these JM pros. And uh, I don't know if you can see that, but anyway, um, it's it's a blue uh, JM pro, and uh, I love these guitars. I never was like a big Jazzmaster fan, um, but but to me, um, I always loved P90s, and it's actually really hard to find guitars that are P90s and have like a traditional sort of F style tremolo. You know, and um, I mean, they make them, but uh, this is this is, you know, to me, one of the best ones on the market. I think the Doheny from GNL is one, yeah, you know, another one. Too. But I always loved P90s. And um, I don't know. I just really liked uh, this guitar. I bought this guitar and it kind of became uh, my thing. And um, now uh, my buddy, the Suze, who's on the channel with me a lot, he has a gold one, you know, because he would come over here and play it so much <laughs> uh, that he's like, I feel like I own that guitar. I might as well get one for real. And, um, so, but I, I, I'm a big surf fan. I think lately they've raised their prices the last couple of years pretty significantly. So they're not as great buys as they once were. I really thought they were the best thing on the market in terms of, uh, to me, I thought for, a, for several years there, it was like a team built f- custom shop fender. Cause John sir, there used to run the fender custom shop. Right. So right. The, the sheet that they would build from was just like the fender custom shop one. And, uh, for a while, they were selling the brand new guitars for twenty one ninety five. I mean, it was like two right. years ago, and yeah. now those same models, you know, this same model like is thirty five hundred, yeah, you know, ninety five or whatever now. And that you know, just for the base one, you know, and then if you want to get your own or you want a roasted neck or something, I mean, you're breaking three thousand and stuff. And there, it's you know, it's a it's a very premium guitar. But I thought at twenty one ninety five, it's like the the American made Fender stuff, like the deluxe Fenders were eighteen. You know, so you yeah. were only paying a small premium if you like that stuff. I would say to me, uh, this is the one I take out of the house the most because to me, P90s, uh, you know, the neck can sound like a really fat strat and the bridge um, is, is, is it gets humbuckery enough. You know what I mean? It's mid-rangey enough that, that uh, you know, uh, it doesn't sound like a single coil uh, strictly. But um, I also really like, I like, P- I like single coils a lot and I like how even in a P90, the bass doesn't have that compression that it has in humbuckers. 
I mean, I love humbuckers too, but um, I enjoy that. It feels like they feel like big single coils. And uh, the thing I specifically like about this guitar is how balanced the pickups are. So um, I've had people say this when they play this guitar. It's um, they'll say, um, how come the middle position is almost like brighter than the bridge? And it's, it's the type of thing. I'm trying not to drop that. It's the type of thing where the presence is probably just a little bit higher in terms of the highest frequencies are probably just a little higher in the middle position, but on the bridge, it, it's more steely and trebly, but the presence actually has this nice roll off that mm -hmm. sort of makes it sound like a, you know, rock and bridge guitar, you know, kind of tone. But, um, but then you have, you know, a bright neck and stuff. It's, it, it's, it's very well balanced. It's a subtle thing that you don't really notice right away, but, um, it's something that I noticed in it. After that, I got like a, uh, uh, a gold, uh, custom shop strat that I call Goldie. I, that's um, the one I was going to say. That's yeah, probably Goldie, yeah. right? Like and that's, that's a beauty. That's something. It's funny. That guitar, it grows on me the longer I have it almost to the point that I would say, since this whole COVID thing, I might be playing that guitar more than any other guitar. If I'm going to leave the house and play out, I'm probably not bringing a three pickup Strat. That's just me. But in the house, I'm a huge, huge fan of it. Um, and it's probably one of my favorite guitars uh, to play. And there's one more. I'll show you my one of my latest acquisitions, which is like a really, really killer guitar. It's behind me. Dead air. Um, the, this we'll is... Uh, this is a 67, this is 67 Trini Lopez. Yeah, Trini Lopez. And um, uh, for those, you know, people are just listening, it's uh, it's, it's it's a cherry red kind of uh, 335 with, uh, with um, Fender you know, style headstock. Yeah, like a, like a Firebird or whatever. Hey, it stays in tune. How about that? It, it does. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I still, I need to add some lubricant to the nut actually because it is, it is uh, binding a little bit. But um, this is a guitar that, uh, I mean, to me, is like I've been looking for 335s for a long time, and there's something about this that I really just dig. Uh, the T-top pickups, I think these are actually patent sticker, but um, uh, but they they have the T's on the bottom, so they're they're construct they're T-top construction. Uh, I never would have guessed, if, seeing you play that, that you were a Foo Fighters fan. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> well, you know, true, Nick, right? Nick uh, of Great Lakes Guitar Pickups is a big Trini Lopez guy too. He's got one. And yeah. he continually tells us how good they are, but then says, don't tell anybody because yeah. they were like the best kept secret for the longest yeah. time. And now they're blowing up and you can't get them and they're expensive. And I think Gibson is reissuing one or they're doing a custom shop model for like four grand. That's really good. Um, it doesn't, so. that doesn't surprise me. Dave Grohl's been, you know, they've been doing the DG 335 for a while. And obviously, you know, that's, it's, it's, it has the same, yeah. uh, you know, holes in the headstock and stuff, but you know, it's, Dave Grohl's thing now, but, um, these are super cool guitars. Um, yeah, I, those three guitars, if I had to pick ones, blue would be number one. And then these other two are tied for, All right. for a second. All right, we got a confession to make before we before we move on to the Kemper question. So we watched one of your videos like early in the days of the podcast. Actually, it was before I got my Kemper and I was doing yeah. a bunch of research on the Kemper and I was watching some of your videos and I sent one to yeah. Jim and I asked for, for his opinion on what was going on. And Jim and I ended up riffing back and forth. <laughs> 
about the sir first off because you're like look at this guy with a sir it, it felt like that episode or that that song um uh from dire straits uh what is it money for nothing the oh guy, yeah money the, for nothing which is really the dialogue of a guy in some store like an appliance store looking at a bunch of tvs or whatever um yeah. and i it just felt like that because we're like look at this guy playing his sir like what what is his deal like he's got so much money and and jim jim pointed out something to me that was so incredible because it, i it like didn't occur to me when we were doing the when we were watching the video but in the background, there's a pedal board with all of the OCDs on it that you use for your OCD comparison video. And Jim's like, what the hell? Like, he's got every OCD. Like, what is going on with this dude? Like, he's just blowing money, like, left and right and all this stuff. Because obviously, we're the practical guitarists, you know? Like, we're making note of the fact that there's so much money in that room. And it's like, what is this guy? He's not playing with, like, U2 or something. Like, what's no. going on here? Um, <laughs> no, well, I'm a, I'm a tone junkie, you know Yes, I mean? I you definitely are. I, no. I, <laughs> believe me you're not the worst uh, offender um, <laughs> that was um uh that i'm behind now because they released another ocd and i yeah. never got it but uh uh <laughs> you know at the time i was uh, i had been playing an ocd pedal for years and years and that was my number one overdrive and probably one of the longest like standing pieces of gear that i owned was that ocd pedal and uh i had bought all the versions i bought 1.1 when it came out I upgraded to 1.2. Uh, I think I kept that. 1.4 came out. I got that. Then I started hearing people say I should keep my 1.2, which I, I think I still had. But and then you know it just went. It just went and went. And and uh, I had stuck with a a two or a three for a long time. And you know Mike went crazy. 1.7. Yeah. And, and, and I think I had a 0.5. And like I remember when I bought it, it was like 200 something plus dollars. And then when I sold it, I got like a hundred bucks for it. And I was just yeah. like, I was just like, what happened to these things in the interim? Like, uh, and then I realized like, there's like nine versions at that point, you know, and it's like, yeah. oh, well, great. You know, thanks. Thanks for burying me. Um, yeah. I, I, it's just, it was just interesting though, because like you get these impressions of people when they're doing like YouTube content specifically. Sure. And I, now I know your shtick, like there's a lot more to it than that. Like the, the, he's got the floral pattern. Show him the mask. Come on. You got to yeah, show him. Yeah. It's laying yeah. there somewhere. So since he was in the textile <laughs> thing, like he's got the mask you know, that matches his hat. Somebody, and... somebody actually messaged me and said, um, and I have to look at who, what the, the guy's name, I forget his name at the moment, but, um, he messaged me on Facebook and said, my wife's making masks. And I was walking by and I said, Hey, you have HW's pattern. And, uh, and it was this floral pattern. So, uh, I traded him some profile packs for a floral mask, but, uh, awesome. yeah, you know, it's a good awesome. deal. Well, I remember a while back you did a podcast episode where you're talking about you were wearing, like you now wear literally the same clothes every day. Yeah. Right? Like, and that's super interesting. Cause a lot of people, a lot of very, um, I don't want to say like famous or important people, but you're usually, you know, in some, so that's why we talk about them. Right. Um, yeah. It's a, it's, it's popular in tech for sure. And that's kind of where right. I picked it up. That's uh, where I, it's where I come from. I'm tech yeah. background, but yeah. And I, I grew, you know, it's San Francisco. I was growing up, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's always been Silicon Valley just South of there, you know? And so, um, uh, and I went to, uh, uh, I studied entrepreneurship in, 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 college which is a weird major well, who you know, would have but, thought <laughs> yeah but but it was just you know it was, and so all those guys were trying to get into the startup world right so it was all tech and startup people and that that's a thing that yeah like steve jobs famously has done it i think bill gates has famously done it there's a lot einstein of people einstein did it it's what was that einstein did it yeah did he yes oh, that makes sense 
But it's it's actually it's fairly popular with just a lot of you know sort of non eccentrics everyday people. I know a, t- a ton of people who just and it, it it's I think there was like a I think there was like a something called like modular wardrobe or minimalist yeah, wardrobe for yeah. a while that like there was even a company like there where you could just buy and they would send you here's yeah. three pairs of jeans and six shirts and it's like what you need for the rest of your life you know like, and um and you know look i mean look i this is this is actually like the coder's uniform i mean this is right. a black oh, you know, yeah. right? the black like, zip-up so, hoodie yeah yeah gray and, t-shirt and, right you know yeah all i've really levi's. done is that. yeah yeah levi's i mean lately i've added sweats into the repertoire as uh, covid has been here yeah, but right. um you know <laughs> i mean that's that's just I, it's easy you know I've been back. in the military, so I I wore the same clothes every day, right? Right. <laughs> and so I found it funny when people started doing that. And right. what I had done already, because I'd been, you know, like I said, I came out of the military. I, I wasn't used to having, like, a big selection. So I had shirts. I had white and, like, a navy blue shirts. That's it. So I had yeah. white shirts and navy blue shirts. And right. then I had four ties, but they were mixtures of white and navy blue and then I had pants that were charcoal gray or navy blue. That was that was my – and then, of course, all my socks were gold-toe black socks, and I only had two pair of shoes, and they were both identical. Right, so right. I had people that said, don't you ever change your clothes? I said, are you serious? <laughs> I said, you saw I, I spilled spaghetti on my shirt yesterday. Yeah, right. But, yeah, it's just, it's just funny that you guys mentioned – now – I won't wear the same clothes twice. I got this this shirt on, and I'll I'll have a different, you know, or different pants and different socks. I change my socks four or five times a day. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> um, that's no, I really do. Jim's like sharing a lot tonight. Like every time I I change <laughs> shoes, you you wouldn't believe this, but I I have shoes that I wear while I'm at this desk. Then I have shoes I wear when I walk around the house. I have shoes I wear when I go out in the front yard, but shoes I wear when Remember I go. Remember, I told the you he was like a collector. Shoes. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and I have, oh yeah, and my son, I go to my son, I go, I got to have my Fender hat. He goes, you mean this one? I go, not that one. That one. Goes, this one? No, not that one. This one? No, not that one. <laughs> I have like six Fender hats. Gosh. All right. So to get back on on track here, um, there was actually a clever segue I worked out there and I can't remember exactly how it was supposed to work <laughs> it was out. Terrible. But it was something the equivalent of, you can pick the same clothes every day, but, but uh, it's different than like when people plug into an amplifier, right? So when I plug into my Mark V, which I have the Mark V 25, I don't have the big guy. Um, and the reason I bring this up, because that amp's near and dear to my heart, I would love to have profiles that match my amp. I have made profiles. I was not happy with the results. I will probably go back and make profiles again sometime in the near future. Now that I know a lot yeah. more about what I'm doing, I know more about my signal path and stuff in the process to do that. So, um, no, no thanks. No small part, and thanks to some of your videos, but also, you know, just basically because I'm, I've gotten smarter about how to do it. Sure. Um, yeah. But so, like, the way I set up my mark, and that is an amp that I think is really specific, and and actually is a great example for this. Is definitely going to be the way a different than the way you set up your mark, because for one thing, our guitars are different, obviously, and that's going to be the case with any amp, like vintage amp, sure. or otherwise. And then, of course, you got your post amp EQ on the Kemper to control that. Um, but in terms of the Mark series, like you're dealing with two separate EQs. So you've got a five band and that's like a whole nother animals. Like some people want to scoop the mids out of it. I yeah. don't necessarily do that as deeply as most people do. 
And I definitely have my preferred way of setting it up. And to match that out of your profiles is like, I'll be honest, it's been difficult to do that with your profiles and others. I mean, I'm not going to lie, but I think it's just because the amp is so diverse. There's so much tonal control there. So like when sure. you when you realize like you're creating a set of profiles, like for example, that you did the, the Triple Crown, um, that's probably not going to be a huge hit with your typical audience right like the mo majority of the people that are buying tone junkie profiles because it's not really an amp that's aimed at them to begin with um what is the approach there for like how do i make this the widest most palatable set of profiles at that point yeah you know it, it's one of the reasons that i um uh i've given this a lot of thought so um it's it's challenging right to um try to make everybody happy mm -hmm. and early on you know tone junkie really got um started and it was really popular with just the praise and worship guys and now i would say the praise and worship guys are probably about like maybe a third to maybe half mm -hmm. of the customer base you know there's a lot of just kind of guitar players who play all sorts of different things and like classic amps and stuff so i think um, with an amp like that, you know, um, you know, I've kind of gone for what I think sounds good, you know, and how I would set it up, but I'm, I'm not always necessarily thinking of the praise and worship guitarist because I want to cover amps that wouldn't be, you know, appealing to them. Cause I like them too. You know, Marshall's aren't big in that world, even Marshall's that should be, you know, like 18 watt Marshall's should yeah. be yeah. right up there with Vox AC thirties. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the most, the, the packs that has maybe been one of the best selling packs I've ever done is a pack called Stu G's Arshall, and that's a blues breaker. And you never see praise and worship guys talking about blues breakers, but it just is a great sounding thing. It sounds great. Uh, my buddy, the Sues ended up uh, making a worship performance around it. And uh, that became like one of our biggest free downloads. You know, we were just telling people, you got to try this amp. It works. It works. It works. You know, it doesn't just sounds great. So, you know, for something like this, 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 uh, two rec, uh, two rec, this train wreck, uh, Liverpool, you know, it's a single channel amp. There's three positions of, of a bright switch on it. So I look at it and I go, okay, uh, how am I going to, how am I going to kind of make something that's going to work here? So, um, I've really been trying to be conscious about adding into some of my packs. You might've noticed lately. Um, sometimes I'll have EQs that have a good amount of top end roll off. Um, and I'm adding that sort of in addition to what I normally do. So like, for example, the, we, I did a little 69, uh, Marshall 1930 popular, popular yeah. amp. And, um, I try to go for a warmer voicing as well as the sort of brighter voicing I would normally do. So like for this train wreck, my plan was um, I have like, I profiled the amp once with a very full sounding EQ with sort of a top end roll off. Right. Um, that's going to work for brighter guitars um, or just, just for a little more of a mix ready, you know, mid range heavy sound. Then I'm going to do something a little more neutral uh, or what I would call neutral. You know what I mean? And then I'm going to do something that's bright. Right. And I try to like label it that way. Yeah. What can be challenging is with an amp that's already so diverse, like the TC50 there, TC100. Yes, how many, how many variations it, can you possibly profile? I mean, yeah, if I did that with every channel, it's already got nine, you know, channels. It's got yeah. three channels with three modes on each. So if I did that, it'd be, you know, just a lot. So, um, well, to put it yeah, in perspective, you know. I was kind of slamming you for the uh, the Mark V. I'll give you the I'll give you the credit on this. So that's 
three channels, three modes, two power yeah. modes for the whole amp, plus right. the five band EQ. There is no possible way on earth that you're going to be able to profile every yeah. possible variation that that amp yeah. is going to get used in. And I think the older vintage amps, like like a Marshall Plexi, you're really mm -hmm. only going to dial that a certain way. There, the the, the, the EQ controls on a Marshall Plexi, like cranked up, are not really going to be that diverse. You, yeah, you, you really can't no, they don't get work. They, the Plexi tone stack is not very powerful at all. Right, and so, like a Mesa, yeah. So I think those, and and it's funny because I think those profiles t tend to correlate to what I think are like more universally good that can mm -hmm. work in a lot of situations. But I think that's because those amps have like such a straightforward way of operation. Um, Voxes are are sort of like the opposite end of that, I think, because the the uh, the cut controls and all that. But um, sure, I'm I'm really curious to see how the the train wreck comes out because I know it's kind of voxy flavored and. Um, yeah, I, I, I haven't played an Express or, not, or I haven't played an Express. I played a lot of Express profiles. I tend to like mm -hmm. them, but I've always wanted to try the Liverpool and mm -hmm. I have this sinking feeling because I'm not a huge Vox fan. I have this sinking feeling that I'm going to play it. And I'm going to be like, eh, but it's but that's going to be the, the Voxy lineage more than the the uh, amp itself, I think. So what I did here for this one, too, was I did it once through this new cab I got, which is a 1969 Marshall cab yeah, with that. original greenbacks. So that's sort of the more Marshall flavor. And then I did the whole amp again with uh, a set of uh, 66 silver Alnicos, uh, some Celestian Alnico silver bells. And um, so those are more Voxy for sure because I got those Alnico speakers. Um, and, you know, hey, I, you know, I got one with the bright switch on where it's going to be kind of almost top boosting yeah, but, it's, this is a, but this is a different amp you know what i mean i wouldn't oh, yeah. even call you know it's el84s and you know i can put it through those speakers but it doesn't it it's not a vox you know what i mean so it's sort of those i i, I feel like you're getting the train wreck in a marshall flavor and a vox flavor you know and that's kind of how i've approached it but it's a it's a train wreck the, you know ken fisher's a perspective and approach to building amplifiers is so unique i went to go look and see if i could build a clone of a Ken Fisher train rack, right? Mm -hmm. Like an express. Mm -hmm. And I found out like there are nine publicly available schematics and they're yeah. all like vastly different. Right. Yeah. And that's and, why he named, he named the amp instead of giving them serial numbers. Right. Know? Well, and it gets more complicated than that because a lot of people think they're Marshall derivatives. They're not, they're based mm -hmm. on uh, a super reverb. Like the, the, the internals of the amp are way more, have way more in common with a super reverb than they do a Marshall, which is crazy to yeah. me, but um, yeah. you would never think hey, that. Uh, Dumbles have, uh, you know, the ODS, the um, output stage is, is identical to a baseman, which is what Robin Ford was playing when Howard thought up, I'll make an amp for Robin Ford, which is how yeah. that came about. And the steel string singer um, is actually the output section is from an ampeg bass amp it doesn't and, surprise me and it's one of the reasons it's such it's so high wattage one because it was like yeah. 150 watts that's why it's 150 watts it's for clean headroom. and then uh <laughs> yeah and yeah it's got this thunderous bass you know and uh it's it's that's a big amp a big sounding amp and it's heavy it's as heavy as a bass head too so you also do some stuff with the helix or at least you've done some yeah. stuff with the helix um I'm not going to ask your opinions on the Helix. I know you're a, I know you're yeah. a Kemper guy. I know you're a Kemper guy at heart. And I know there's like this whole war behind behind the scenes. And it's so funny because I owned a Helix, right? I actually went from the Helix to the Kemper. And the reason I did was because I thought the Helix form factor, it was still a pain in the butt to haul around. And I was still using like tube amps to do my amps, 
like I was using it in a four cable method and it just it was just overkill and uh I sold I actually had a giant pedal boomer for that I had uh probably three or four thousand dollars wrapped up in pedals on a pedal mm -hmm. train trio 43 and I couldn't <laughs> even I literally could not put it in the trunk of my car that's why that's why he's like no this this isn't gonna work so I downsized I actually built a board it was smaller um and it had two tiers and I downsized from that and got the Kemper um and to put in perspective like some of the pedals I I have um I have some of the the weirder like more exclusive stuff. So I got a Sunface here. Yeah. I have a King of Tone on order. I have an Ethos um actually on my pedal board, which is over in a bag over there on top of my Kemper road case. Um, and I've like I find myself kind of thinking like about the the Kemper and the idea that that form factor. I think the the uh, the Kemper stage form factor, and I'm like I kind of want to get an another one. You know, just yeah. to, just to have it around, but at the same time, it's like I can't justify the extra expenditure, um, and I think that that's going to hit it out of the park for them as opposed to the Helix. But that's my own perspective on it. But what I wanted to what I wanted to ask is like, do you still use the Helix? Do you take it out? Do you do you do performances with it and stuff? I have played with the Helix live, but um, you know, for me, um, I, to be honest with you, I take the I play pretty much the same performance that I've played for the last. A uh, year and a half, almost two years, every Sunday morning when I play, because I just want it to always be there and sound. You know what I mean? Like, um, I have occasionally, you know, I'll I'll make another performance and use it, but without thinking, I have one performance set up in the Kemper that is my uh, '90s AC30 and is the amp I played before I had a Kemper, and um, so I always just fall back to that. Yeah, it's home. Um, I've I've played the helix live so the helix for me is um uh is a cool device it's not my preferred one i prefer the kemper but um there's nothing wrong with the helix at all um it's i really when i make irs and i'm working on some more right now my, my goal is to kind of put out irs every couple months you know put out three or four packs of mm -hmm. irs um so i did three about you know two and a half months ago or three packs about two or three months ago and and uh um that's really the device that I use those IRs on. So I shoot those IRs. I try them out on the, on the helix and, um, I do it on the Iridium too, the Strymon Iridium now, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, you know, I, I've actually, it's on my to-do list to do more stuff with the helix. Um, and not, I don't feel the need to, you know, be the guy who makes a bunch of helix presets. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've given away a good amount just to sort of showcase the IRs and stuff. And I think it's a really great piece of gear. I think, um, you know, we were talking about the Mark series and the and the EQs and stuff. I think one of the great things about digital is um, uh, just you can add an EQ before the amp in the you know between the amp and the cab after right. the amp. I think that's where a lot of stuff comes alive. I've done a lot of videos lately on my um, what I call my you know basically trying to get guitar players to like originally you hear your sound with two bands of EQ. It's like high and low, yeah. and then and then you you kind of like somewhere you figure out mid range is important. And then, and then, you know, with something like a Mesa, you know, a lot of you add presence in, right? And, um, or on the Kemper, you add presence. And then that five band EQ on the Mesa is really giving you something else. And I believe that, um, does that EQ fall in the power amp section of those amps? Yeah, it's, it's definitely post preamp. Um, yeah, so and I think it's actually past the loop too. So yeah, it's probably after the phase inverter or something before the, but probably before the power yeah, I, I imagine. I, but, no, actually, it's not fast the loop. I take that back. It is it is post 
or pre-loop. Pre yeah. So it it's the type of thing where like I, I have a couple of videos out lately where I where I try to get guitar players to hear their sound in eight parts, you know? Yeah, and, and they're, like, they're good videos. You know, I have watched them. Um, yeah, it's, I need to do that for the Helix just to sort of get um, get those eyeballs on it and get people. Because that's, to me, the Helix sounds best when you just go, uh, I'm going to have an amp cab and an EQ on. Yep. You know, and sort of, you know, and you can do that pre in the middle or after. But if you really, you know, hear your sound as here's the deep frequencies, here's bass, then fullness, low mids, high mids, treble, presence, and air. The only uh, if you can sort of identify those, I mean, you're you're ahead of the curve. The, I think the only thing for me, well, I already think in terms of that, but only because I'm doing a lot of recording. the The only thing that I um I think the Helix brings to the table over the Kemper at this point is the flexibility. Um, being able to route your signal chain. I mean, you have extreme control over the signal chain in Helix. Um, yeah, but I axe too. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I feel like um, a lot of their amps that are in there are sort of cartoony in a way. Like they either have too much gain or they're or the way that they're the way that they're structured so that like the gain ramps up really fast um, and there's a smaller area of play for that clean signal. Um, but the other real issue I had with with um, the way the Helix handles things like the five band EQ in the in the mark is, I think, one of the most musical EQs you can get for an amplifier like something that's built into an amplifier and i would love sure. if the five band eq that was in helix sounds like the one that's in a mark but it doesn't yeah. it doesn't yeah i know people are like oh yeah it's the same thing it's got the same frequency bands it, it might be the same frequency bands but the q is wrong and there is like mm -hmm. a buffer or something that goes on in that circuit that seems to be lacking that gives it that polished sheen and i don't run it like sure. most people do like a lot of people you see the big the deep v you know like i'll actually yeah, yeah have just like a slight uh carve in the mids and then i'll push the the um upper mids i'll just just yeah. a little bit i don't want it to be fatiguing on the ear um and i'll use the bass depending on what you know obviously what uh cab i'm running through because that that's a big you know feature of those amps but um sure i just think that like nobody's accurately modeled that yet and yeah. i you're not going to get in the kemper either unless you shoot profiles that are kind of geared up the way you want to however mm -hmm. i will say this they make a five band EQ and a pedal and you can put I've it in the, and you can yeah. put it in the loop on a Kemper and it'll probably sound just like the real deal. So um, I, it's something that I've thought about experimenting with, but I it would be interesting when I get my uh, my Mark profiles done. I want to I might shoot them over to you just so you could see how different they are yeah. compared to what you, you do, because. Yeah. And that that Mark five, you know, I don't know if you've seen that Mark five pack that I've done. Mm hmm. You know, that was, man, that was pack number yeah, it was four, early. It was early. five. And it was great mean? for early. early. There's you know still I mean? good stuff in there. I don't want you to think yeah. I'm like, I'm totally Yeah, no, no. I, you know, I, I, there's such a diverse customer base and such yep. a diverse like range of players that use Tone Junkie stuff that um, I get guys who tell me, oh my gosh, you're Friedman Dirty, dirty Shirt, I call the Dirty Surly. Those are the best rock profiles I've ever heard. They're all I play. I had a guy come up to me maybe six months ago and go, uh, dude, your Mark Five. I downloaded when you put it out. It's still my favorite pack. I can't and yeah. I, you know what I mean. Hey, yeah, awesome. The B, you well, know? and the BE. You did the BE, the BE, the BE one hundred. Yeah, the, yeah. And and you know, honestly, like I played those amps for real before, and they only have like two good settings. Like the knobs yeah. don't do much. They're like a they're like an old plexi in a lot of ways. And I think now you captured it. I mean, it for for what it's that, worth. 
that was an amp two I did during this little stage where I was experimenting with the aux box. And I think I did the whole amp through the aux box. Don't tell me that. <laughs> and I, well, it's in the profiles. It's in, it's in the I notes. I know, I know. It probably is. I've it's in the notes. To, yeah. And I think I, you know, I was experimenting with it. And I thought they came out good at the time, but, um, the, you know, I, I might get a, I might get a BE50 deluxe and give that, give that whole thing and, uh, you know, another, another app back be, just for I'd be fun. Interested. You know, I'd be interested. Yeah. Um, the other one that you've done, and I think I've mentioned you about this before. You may not even remember it. It was a long time ago, but you did, you did that. You were doing the, like the subscription thing where you would send out like new profiles every week or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you did the, the, uh, the PT, the, and you didn't like yeah. it. And I asked you like, is there any place I can get these profiles? And you're like, you just didn't say anything. So I'm like, well, they must be bad. Like, <laughs> wait, which amp was it? The, it the was pink the... taco. Oh, I, well, I'll, I'll try and find them, man. I'm sure I got them. I did. You know what? I don't know if it was the one I had or whatever, but I just found that amp to have a certain quality that I it's was not weird, digging. It's a weird, raunchy I, thing. Like, yeah, yeah. It just, I, I don't know. And maybe it was the speakers I was pairing it with too. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I remember uh, I, I put them out in that free thing because I got the amp. I didn't love them. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I'll, I'll push them out, you know, for free. People like them or. Yeah, or, they like uh, them or won't. Right. But yeah, you, you got to love, you got to love what you, what you sell and what yeah, you put out there. For sure. Else, for sure. You know, and you I know. just figured they were so bad that you were like, I'm not going to show anybody these anymore. Like that was kind of silly to me to put them out there. But, <laughs> um, it's fine. If you find them awesome, if you don't. I, I, you know, it, uh, there's a good question. They must be somewhere on my computer. But um, yeah, if they're not in the everything pack. Huh? I wonder what I did with them. I haven't found them in the everything pack. Maybe they're in there somewhere or something. No, they like, might not be there. Because originally well, that pre stuff wasn't in there, and then later I just added it all in case people didn't have it already. You know, you should call that the well, PTO said, pack, the paid yeah, time off pack. PTO <laughs> paid time off. Yeah. Uh, when you said PT at first, I thought, does he mean the Pete Thorne? Because I didn't think that bad was that amp was bad. That was, no, no, but, yeah, no, that. Uh, oh yeah, completely different amp. Completely. That's a really great amp, actually. That's I think one of the best amps out there. That PT, that PT one hundred. I haven't played the PT fifteen, but I think that's a really cool sort of innovation they've got with that PT fifteen with the IR. It's a full tube head, but they've got a load box and an IR loader uh, built in, which is very cool. I think it's cool that these companies are doing these um, doing these uh, lunchbox combos. And but I think the interesting thing is like, so I prefer the Mark five twenty five to the big guy, and mm -hmm. people are like, why would you want the little? Because the mid range is so much tighter. And it's like more focused. And I think people yeah. have a tendency to think bigger tubes, you know, bigger sound. And that's actually true. But you don't necessarily want a bigger sound all the time. And a lot of that comes from yeah. the cabinet anyway. Right. So um, I'd like to see if if I could have my wish list since I have your ear at like more of the lunchbox stuff at, at times. Um, yeah. That's part of the reason why I'm so interested in what the train wreck is going to sound like is because if it's yeah. like that more focused mid-range thing going on, it might be a little bit more yeah. interesting. I think there's some of that in there for sure, especially on the on the full settings. But this is a grunty amp, you know what I mean? It's hard to even scoop a train wreck, really. Um, it's just gainy, and you can't. They're actually you know, really brittle sounding. Like the the at least the Express seems to be. They can be. Uh, the bright switch is really powerful. I think in that way, it's like a Mesa, right? The, 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 the stronger you make an EQ, the more bad sounds you're going to get out of an amp. That's one of the things about those old Marshall Plexis. The EQ 
EQ does so little, it just always kind of sounds like it, you know? It just, yeah, if you just, yeah, it's got it out, one sound and that's good, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, really it's just, do you want bright channel, the, uh, you know, regular chant, normal channel or jumper together? That's sort of the, the plexi sound. But, um, yeah, I, I think um, it's got a really powerful, this Liverpool and the Express have a really powerful presence control. And then it's got a super powerful bright switch. And I've almost found it. It's like if you go to the, to the and it's got a three-way bright switch. So if you have the bright switch off, you're sort of free to use that presence control. But once you flip it up to the top setting, I mean, you're almost using that presence like a cut. Mm -hmm. you know, to get rid of something because you want those present frequencies, but you can't handle everything up in the high end. And, uh, you know, you end up also cutting some treble and stuff too, because these amps are interesting. The gain gets going really fast. There's almost, there's not really clean sounds in them. Well, I almost wonder if like those kind of amps are legendary because of the recording scenario, because then you get them into the studio and you can have the EQ set, you know, bright as all get out. And then you're just on the, you know, you're at the mixer going, (laughs) turn off the treble, (laughs) like, um, yeah. And that makes it work, you know, or you're putting it to tape and you're saturating it or that kind of thing. Sure. Um, just to, just to curb it out. But, uh, I got, yeah, I got a quick question for you. HW. Make it a long yeah. one. So you, you, uh, no, this is a quick one. <laughs> um, now I don't, I don't want names on this, but has there ever been someone who came to you and, uh, who may or may not have a little bit of like a, a bigger following and said to you, I just can't do, I, I'm being asked to use a Kemper. Or they're, for some reason, they're, using, they're switching to Kemper. And and they're like, I can't get it. I, I love my tubes. I love my tubes. You know, convince me I need a Kemper. Has there ever been that person? How, if you did convince them, how was it that you convinced them that it was okay to use the Kemper out there on stage? You know what I mean? You know, um, I... I have uh, gotten the call from several people. I got the call, although I didn't, I haven't gone in yet for, um, uh, for Michael McDonald to go talk to show him, you know? Um, and there's been a couple times where, you know, people have, they're hesitant about using a digital anything. Um, but really it's been easiest to convince um, studio guys and not even studio guys, producers because uh, for them, time is money. So I've converted quite a quite a few producers out here where I'll bring the Kemper over, show them how it works, show it to them. And once they realize that with the flick of a switch, you know, the, instead of collecting five, six amps and a lot of the independent guys, you know, if you got a band coming to town and they even might have a studio that they share with two other people or something and there might be three or four amps in there. But they'll also go borrow amps from their friends just so they have all these amps in the studio because who knows what's going to happen. And once they realize the time they save by just clicking over and now you've got the matches with a greenback or the yeah. matches with an 830 or we've got a different matchless altogether. We're going from a clubman to a uh, to a chieftain. What that I mean, the time that saves just in the overdubs or now let's get another guitar sound for another part uh, is it, they they get it right away. You or know, if, they just or right if they have to come it. back. Like that's the craziest scenario I've heard. Where like a band records, they got two weeks here. They record a bunch, and then they come back in a month, and they got a whole new set of amps sitting there, and they're going, "How do we get those sounds so we can match up and and do overdubs and yeah. or, and or punch in?" And it's like if you have the Kemper, save them. Like what's the problem? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, so I, to me, the the uh, the producers have been the easiest ones to convince. I've never had anyone uh, 
really, you know, fight me on it. But there's definitely some people who just go, uh, no, thanks. Uh, I'm not into that, you know, and there's, there's, there's been those people, but Hey, if I was the edge and I could bring six vintage AC thirties and some five E3s and I didn't carry them and somebody took care of my rig and wired everything up, I'd probably do that. I mean, that's fun. Yeah. But you know, as long as every time I hit a power cord, I hear it. Like it sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I did have a guy say to me one time, he's like, I just can't, it, it was, um, uh, it was the gentleman who makes uh, TMG guitars. And, um, we were having a conversation and he said to me, he said, you know, I just can't picture the edge ever bringing out like a modeler, you know? And, uh, I said back, I said, well, you're right. I mean, the edge comes from a time where, except when, for the pods that are in his rig. Well, there are pods in yes. this rig, but, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it's like, yeah, you know, that the, the edge became the edge doing this. There's no reason to switch, you know, but at the same time, you got guys like Pat Metheny who have been using digital stuff and like, you know, he's been wanting to sound like a trumpet, uh, since, yeah. you know, since, you know, the very first like boss synth thing and it doesn't sound like a trumpet, but it sounds now like Pat Metheny. So, um, you know, it's all just music. That's a great analogy. Um, we had somebody on the show not too long ago who was a diehard tube guy. And he was like, he was kind of poo-pooing because I, I mentioned to him, like, I, I still prefer tube amps, but I mean, my Kemper is the thing that I use. And it was like, yeah. well, yeah, but, you know, there's something you miss with that. And I'm like, I don't really feel that way. I still don't. <laughs> I mean, it left me with kind of a bad taste in my mouth because I'm just like, who are you to decide what I'm missing? You know, yeah, like that's that's up for me to decide. And if I think I can get away with it and I do get away with it. And by the way, um, using some of your profiles specifically, like I've gotten the best compliments of my tone of my life. Um, and, you know, I've been playing 20 years like that's impressive. Yeah. And to go into a situation with a digital piece of equipment and not have anyone care, actually have people come up to you and tell me, don't bring your amp. This is much easier to deal with and sounds better, you know. <laughs> Like that, yeah. that's the best compliment you can possibly get. And, you know, I, I mic up amps. I mic up speakers all the time. Oh, now. Yeah. When I first started doing this, um, you know, I had a couple techniques that people had shown me, you know, now I have a, I have, there's still a couple techniques that I fall back to that pretty much always work, but um, I've tried everything I can think to try, you know, and I will tell you it, the way to get the best guitar sound is to mess with it a lot. Yep. Like best sounding guitar stuff on records have a bunch of EQs and stuff on them. And what I found is, well, EQs act one way when you do it pre-gain or pre-amp and then another way post. And when you listen to those and, you know, I haven't met an amp that I didn't like, you know, pushing a little bit of 200 and then a little bit of 1,000, a little bit of 16, and a little bit of 5K. That's why everybody and, uses tube screamers and stuff. Like, they're all yeah. shaping it. It's a, it's a form yeah, of and, EQ. And, and, yeah, because it just brings it out a little bit. And, like, tube screamer, I haven't met uh, a solo that didn't like a bunch of 500K being thrown at it, you know, to really jump out. And cutting the bass, cutting the highs, right? I had a buddy tell me just recently, he goes, man, I was using your 5E3 stuff. It sounds just like Joe Walsh on Hotel California. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure he used a 5e3 for that solo. I don't know, yeah. but that, that's what it sounds like, you know? And it's like, the, the amps do a certain thing, but if you've got a tone and you've got two mics and, you know, one is this spring, this ribbon thing held up, yeah. you know, and, and you're, you're moving that around. It's like, you can do a lot, but 
there's a point where you get to where you go, man, if I could just push a little 200 and cut everything after that up to like 450, I'm going to get a nice, like kind of clearer base on my Marshall because I'm going to low cut it below 100, uh, maybe even maybe even 125. I want to push a little at 200 to get my little, you know, my sound of my bass notes in there. And then I want to give it some space. I want to give that bass some space before I get into the mid range. And, you know, on a Marshall, I'm probably not going to go too much into the low mids anyway. You can't do, I've moved mics all around. There's no little position where you can perfectly control 320. You know what I mean? You're controlling everything all the time. And so it's, that's the art. And then, and then the EQs are the science, you know, and I think the digital stuff just makes the science so much easier and it makes it so you can bring it with you. Um, I've been doing a ton on EQs lately on the Tone Junkie channel. And I don't know if you guys have seen some of those videos, but just talking about like, Hey, here's an EQ that'll work really well in front of the amp. If you've got a Strat or a Tele and a thinner guitar, and here's why. I I think those videos are so great, and I think they're great for people who don't even have a Kemper. Because even though you're doing it in a digital space, you can do that stuff in the real world, and people forget that there are EQs for amplifiers, you know, that you can put preamp. Here's my Boss GE7. There you go, right there. Painted black. But this is the most valuable pedal. I mean, you can... You put this in your chain and you can just do so much with it, you know? Um, there's that. And then the other thing I wanted to commend you on was when you did your series where you were showing how to use the dirts in the Kemper with a post EQ to change them into a different dirt and sound. Like, and I think okay. I, I use your your King of Tone preset right now just because I'm waiting on my King of Tone to show up. COVID. I ordered it two weeks ago. I got at the list a year ago and I had to, I didn't buy it. And I thought, Oh, I'll have to get on the list again. And I reached out to them. And they're like, no, I think you can buy it. So, so I can, I can tell you this. Cause I just had, believe it or not, this guy came from New York city. So he sat in Queens for four or five days before yeah. he moved this little box right here. So it's, I don't know if it's to do with them making sure everything's clean before it goes. Mm-hmm. I'd rather to know it was, but, uh, yeah, I think that uh, things are coming out of New York City very slowly. You got to c- remember, he's out in uh, – he's under up in Connecticut, Connecticut right? He's, he's in Connecticut. But, Connecticut. They, but they've already said they've got, they're only running half staff right now, and they're running a couple yeah. weeks behind. They talked to me initially when I when I reached out to him. It wasn't like uh, it wasn't like they were trying to hide it, and I asked him or anything. They just – it's just going to take yeah, a while no. to get here, um, which is no big deal. Like, I'm cool. I can wait. But I've been using the – I've been using Helix Native for the the King of Tone in there, and then, of course, I, mm-hmm. I discovered yours because I knew you'd done the Klon. Um, and I think I think the King of Tone wasn't as close as the Klon was. The Klon you yeah. the Klon you did was got you guys did was ridiculous. Um, but the yeah. the King of Tone is like eh, it'll it'll work at least until I get one. Like it'll work. Um, yeah, it, it's a good sounding drive. You know what I mean? It's not it didn't quite perfectly get the KOT, but it sounds good on the Kemper. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, so at, at, at EQ. Well, the, and and. Uh, this is the one weakness the Kemper has is like the drives in it are not that great sounding, but they're 19. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about a device that's like eight years old now. Yeah. Well, there's new drives coming. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I know a couple that have been built that they're, they, they have built and I don't know why they haven't pushed out the first few, but, um, uh, you know, they were building some. And then uh, I had a conversation with them at NAM where uh, they asked, what what pedals do you think should be in here? And I, I spelled some out for them. And uh, 
I know some of those choices, they, they were like, yeah, that's on our radar. That's on our radar. And they had had, they had a couple built at the time. I can't, so, I can't um, wait to see them. Cause, uh, that's my biggest pet peeve. Cause like, I, and, and I asked him too, I said, Hey, can you just throw a full 10 band EQ on page three of every overdrive? Yeah, and, yeah. and they were like, yeah, we could, we could do that. Like it won't, we, they were like, yeah, we can make it take one block and we could do that to them. It didn't take up a, a, a significant amount of DSP to add that in. I was like, please do that. So that, you know, my tube screamer, when I go in there is volume gain tone. Like that's what I want. Simple. But if I page over now, I get my extra settings. You know, maybe I want some of this or some of that. I'm glad you got their ear, man. Cause that's the kind of input they need to, to just like, we'll see if they do it. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I think, I think you've sold quite a bit of product for them, whether you like to believe it or not. They owe you, they owe you a little bit of gratitude for the U S market. Maybe not a ton, well, they, you know, but a little bit at least. They gave me, um, I think I got on the Kemper train when it was, when, you know, it was, it was really starting to take off in the U S a little more. And the church market has had a good amount to do with that. I think they sure. were, they were looking for, uh, professional kind of grade uh, silent stage solutions. They did give me the only white Kemper rack. I know. That I know. And I was very grateful. I was very grateful for that. They made one for Nam. They decided not to put it in production and they sent it to me. And after I'd asked, I had been asked for it for like two years, joking with them. And then one day they said, Hey, we want to send you something. Yeah. And uh, it showed up at my doorstep. And uh, yeah, thank you to those guys for that. Well, the, well, the guys at Kemper seem like, like really stand up dudes. I haven't met them yet. Cause they don't come to gear fest, which is usually our event for the summer. Obviously that's virtual yeah. this year. No Nam this year. So won't be doing that yeah. either, but uh, yeah. hopefully I get the opportunity to, to uh, have a conversation with Christoph at some point. Cause I'd like to, I like to pick his brain. The guy, the guy's a genius. Yeah. I mean, he's talking about writing assembly code to make that thing work. And it's just, yeah. I'm in the tech world and I know what that means. And yeah. when he says, you know, DSP, like last I heard, they're only using like, like a, like 40% of the DSP in the Kemper. So yeah, he's got a lot of thoughts about, and he, he was, he was telling, uh, telling me and some other guys at Nam about some of the challenges of getting uh, younger guys out of, uh, school who then come in and write really robust code and then he and then he he apparently always has to educate them and say it's great that you did it that way but it's you know why why did you do it that way why didn't you just do it this way you know just because you can make it bigger uh doesn't mean you should or just because you have the, oh, the capacity to work with oh yeah no i've so, been combating it for years because part of my job is a little bit of software development and it, it, i've noticed that like as hard drives have gotten bigger, people are more willing to just throw garbage in there that doesn't need to be there. And in a game like sure. this, where, you, where been, efficiency is the name of the game, like you need to be efficient. I've been, I've been saying that since since the uh, '80s. Let me tell you something. So, um, just to give you an idea, um, the computer I worked on in the Navy was one of the first computers that went to the moon. Um, wow. So it. <laughs> It uh, what year was this? It had less, yeah. It had less memory than than like this speaker, but um, uh, yeah, we used to have to write code assembler language uh, for uh, Univac computers that would fit on sixteen k. <laughs> so yeah, I I feel his pain. I feel his uh, pain. It was a big deal to get thirty two k and to get sixteen bits. <laughs> To get 16 bits was wow. I'm pretty sure the show notes bit? are bigger than 16K. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. 
but yeah, I, I can't imagine uh, the kind of work that goes into there. And it and it must be cool to have the the ears and eyes of these guys. You talked about some of the silent stages. I've talked to David a few times about some of the need for silent stage. Um, my cousin is one of the top uh, Elvis impersonators in the country, and yeah. obviously his guitar player, his whole band is on the silent stage. Um, he has he has production. They have marks on the stage. All the dancers. All the all of his stuff, um, you know, and even he's on a, you know, he's on a, um, an acoustic, uh, an exact replica of Elvis's um, uh, Gibson that yeah. he had, and uh, with his name Elvis Presley down the down the fretboard. But anyway, um, the some of the stuff that uh, you're talking about is 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 really important, even to people outside. Um, you must have a lot of people who now talk to you outside of the. Uh, religious oh, yeah. uh, community in the secular music that are saying, yeah, sure. I need this for silent stage. I'm yeah. going to play, you know, this, this thing. And I know that uh, from talking to friends that, that do the, uh, you've got the voice now, but you've got every, every one of those things. It's got a band out there that may or may not be live, but nine times out of 10, they do have a rig. They are plugged in and yeah. they're a B to be ready to go in case the quote unquote track goes down. Like, like what uh, happened to us earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what are some of the some of the things you don't have to give us any you know um, trade secrets or anything? But what kind of things that you see um, uh, as far as that goes, as far as um, outside in the in the in the secular music? Yeah, I mean, there's always been a trend, um, you know, towards. I, I, I think at, at the end of the day, it's like uh, consumer music instrument products are no different than, you know, uh, uh, any other consumer products. People want ease of use and portability today more than ever. You know, we all know that MP3s don't sound as good, but we don't care. We all know that like you lose something by using Bluetooth, but we don't care. You know, we would rather have all the music in our pocket than have, you know, an Eagles, you know, the, you know, yeah, yeah. We then have, you know, the, the, the Eagles on vinyl on our tube stereos, you know, so, you know, Macintosh power, you know, hi-fi amps just don't sell that well anymore. And that they're still just as great. Um, what I see um, is re- really it's the travel thing, and it's all the way up, up the line. Um, you know, Sean Tubbs was playing with uh, – Sean Tubbs, you know, big YouTube guitar player and stuff. And uh, obviously he was playing with uh, Carrie Underwood and had a really great gig with her. And, um, you know – it was the tour managers who said to everybody, him and the bass player, and uh, I think the other guitar player, we're going to Axe. We're going on Axe Effects. Because the stage show, they wanted a guitar player out there to come go back to back with Carrie and do the solo. But they didn't want a guitar rig out there in one spot on the stage because he's just part of the show. He's like a backup dancer who happens to make music as well. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I, what, so, a, what a great and, paying gig, right? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And they were and they were having stuff move all around the stage. And so it, the option of like setting an amp down was just it's a no go. So, you know, they went that way. Um, uh I, I, you see that a lot now. You see that a lot. Um, and you see, um, I'm even seeing, uh, I know a cello player here in Nashville who is getting passed over for some gigs because she um, she just says, well, I don't want to play my electric cello. It doesn't sound good. It's not a mm-hmm. good thing. But they don't. They really care less about the sound than 
just being able to put an electric cello and not buy the extra airline ticket, you know? So, um, I think even in amplifiers though, you know, you see a trend, like we were talking about those lunchbox heads, the trend is towards smaller portable, you know, kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I know from looking at the vintage market, um, Princeton's and deluxes are worth more right now than super yeah. yeah supers and twins you know you you can't sell we a joke super about right it all now. the time by the I mean, way yeah. yeah it's like you got you, you know if you, you got to let your vintage super in great condition go for eight nine hundred bucks if you want to yeah, move it because it's absolutely nuts it, nobody wants something. i'll take your super <laughs> reverb. Too heavy. like i don't have any place to play it but in five years when i do like i'll be really thrilled sure. to have your super yeah i have a i have a twin uh here and i love it but um Man, I just anytime I move a heavy amp, it just r- reminds me. Oh yeah, this is why I don't take amps anywhere. They come and the, to the house. The UPS guy hates me because there's so many amps coming through all the time. But once they get here, they live here because uh, they're yeah. <laughs> well, they're gonna get older. One more dumb question, and then we'll start. We'll start heading out. Um, sure. Dumb question is when you cart your Kemper around. Are you using rack? Are you using the uh, toaster? Are you? I'm. You're probably using the stage mostly now. Um, when you were using your toaster, did you mm-hmm. use the Kemper bag or did you have another bag that you loaded up with it? Man, I always use the Kemper bag, and it always worked for me. And I always uh, just put the um, the Kemper remote right on top and just put the handles over it and velcroed them and then i just carried it and you know because that where i what i was doing mostly was uh um a couple times i got on an airplane with it and i just put it in my suitcase and then packed my clothes around it to make sure it didn't move uh and then uh, other than that i'm just putting it in my trunk Mm -hmm. or my front seat to just drive uh to church on a sunday morning and then you know i park close and walk in and so I, i i also use like like uh gig bags for those occasions too. So it's not a situation where I'm worried about it getting damaged too much, but I do have, but I've never used it a hard case. I have uh, that has pieces that you pluck out. And I, I, I do have one in case I ever need to <laughs> travel with it. But since the stage came out, I, I've a hundred percent stage, throw it on my back with a guitar and uh, they got a backup guitar at the church. I can always grab if I break a string, but that doesn't happen often. And You're uh, selling me on so that I, stage, man. Let me tell you. My biggest thing is one trip from the car. If I can, if I can carry all my stuff in one trip, uh, to me, I'm like, man, this is this is heaven, you know. So Kemper <laughs> in one hand, guitar on my back, and I can still open a door with the other hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm so I got, I've got the, uh, I guess it's a Gator, um, roll away, yeah. roll away, pick and pull foam case and i've been using that since i bought my kemper pretty much um and i noticed that because i wasn't really big on the kemper bag but i did notice that mm-hmm. gator came out with bags yeah and if gator had had the bag when i bought my case i probably would have bought the bag so i can now see myself backtracking and be like i'd rather have the bag sure 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 it's not cheap though. i it's think they bucks the, yeah I, I think the stage bag is nicer than the older bags they had and they still have those older bags I think they've thought through the stage bag and made it a little, a little, uh, it looks a little bit like I, I the helix bag. Yeah, just, it does. It does. And you bit. know what, <laughs> you know, when the stage came out and there wasn't a bag, I used my helix bag it, and that's a great bag. And they're basically <laughs> the same, right? Actually, I had a really bad experience in my helix bag, which is why I'm like, I don't know if I want the stage bag either, but there are, there are options and alternatives for that. Uh, yeah, for the Kemper sure. itself, finding something that fits and, like you're kind of rolling the dice on Amazon and all this stuff. So it would be better yeah. to have a branded thing. But um, 
I just, I, I heard all the horror stories about the Kemper bag, and I'm like, I don't know. Um, and the fact that it didn't fit the pro, the uh, the remote up front because I got the toaster, I got the power toaster. Um, so here's the hack. The case is actually designed for the amp for the Kemper to not drop straight down, but to lay down flat. Oh. And then it fits on top. And here's why. You'll notice on the Kemper bag, the top unzips and the bottom unzips. Oh. And it's designed to be a soft version of, you know, those head cases where the yeah, back where and the front come, open up? Yeah, like that. Right, it's, clamshell. It's designed to be that. But nobody seems to notice that you can do that. So everyone stands it up. And when you do that, it's too tall. And so then you place the thing on top and it doesn't shut right. But if you lay it down, now the problem with laying it down is that then you sort of are resting on some of the plastic knobs. So there is, you know, the option, the, the, Unless you lay the it on its back. possibility, yeah, that if things, that if you put that heavy thing on top, the, uh, the remote, yeah. that, you know, you could, you could damage it if it were rumbling in a car or something. But that is, it's, it's supposed to, you're supposed to be able to take that thing, put it on top of your amp, unzip both sides, then you can plug in the back. All right. All right. front. I got your next video idea. You need to <laughs> yeah. show how the proper use for the Kemper bag yeah, and you I need to show, show it, it now. <laughs> I should show it. I you know. should. <laughs> you should because that is the most I, ridiculous thing that I've I've been researching that bag for six months and I have not found a single person tell me that I'll, both sides unzip. I will. Yeah, look at it. it, it <laughs> <laughs> you can't see them in stores. Like if I walked into a store and there was one sitting there, I would have been like, oh, OK, this makes sense. Right, right. But all right. right. Now, even people who have it don't seem to know. Like, yeah, it's, supposed to be. it's like, why does the bottom unzip? Is that for cleaning? Like, no, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no. Um, so we ask every guest that's on the show this question, and that is, do you have a funny story or like, eh, I guess just a funny story that you can share with us either about profiling or gigging or something that's happened to you because of music. Oh, man. Um, it's hard. I put see. you on the spot. We, we do it to everybody. Yeah, that is no, no, no. Uh, I'll, um, a funny story or something. Um, okay. I, I will. I, this happened to me. Uh, I was playing. Uh, we were playing a place for the second time in San Francisco called The Makeout Room. And uh, The Makeout Room has this thing where it's they pretend that it's new year's eve like pretty much every night so um you know it's a it's kind of a wacky place kind of new year's new year's themed but kind of not so there's a moose head with a bunch of you know brassiers thrown on it and uh, you get free drinks all night if you throw yours up there you know and uh and in San Francisco, you know, men men can do that too. It's, I was just gonna uh, say, yeah. like, oh, why <laughs> not? Say, here's why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I we were playing the makeout room, and I had um, we had a white van. You know, yeah, we put all right. our gear in and stuff, and stalker van. Uh, I was I was uh, loading my. I think I was picking up an orange combo, a two twelve orange eighty thirty combo, and as I bent down to lift it, I split my pants. <laughs> and we hadn't we hadn't played the show yet oh no so i run in the bathroom and i realize it's split and uh you, you know on my backside and uh i go oh no what am i gonna do just don't turn around what i found was two safety pins in my um in my guitar bag that i knew were there and i don't remember why they were there but i i, I was able to pin my pants enough that i was confident you know it 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 I could maybe hide it, but yeah, don't turn around. So the whole night was just me kind of chilling against a wall, you know, and then playing and never turning and looking at the drummer, which I would always do, but I'm sure he felt it was the most like stiff performance. 
And um, <laughs> we were a little nervous, but he he uh, uh, the drummer said to me later, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We just never really seemed to really get into that one. You know, and in my, in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, well, it's probably me because I'm not looking at anybody. I'm like facing forward, like not moving. <laughs> Hoping no one sees. You know? <laughs> you know? But but um, uh, we we did sell it out. And uh, so it was a successful, uh, su- successful show yeah. nonetheless. That's but and, the make out uh, room. I wonder if that's still there. Probably. Yeah. Yo, I Well, that's a good point. Yeah. It was probably there as of five years ago, but that's a long time, uh, especially for a venue like that. You know? Yeah. Let's see the San Francisco makeout room calendar. Oh my god! There it is. There it is. Still there. Yeah. Well, at least for Let's now. See. Until, Tone until see after is COVID. Playing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's got. Uh, let's see what was scheduled for tonight. Freak out. Freak out a go go. 60s, 70s soul funk disco. Yep. That sounds like the kind of thing they would do. Yeah. Yep. Looks so like a deep I, place. The only question I have yeah. for you is: Did you throw your brazier up there or what? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know that was that was one of those places that paid you in drink tickets. You know, I'm always a sober oh band God. member too, so it's like hilarious when you go into a place like that and the band members are like, "Hey, I'm gonna go to the bar so I can get free drinks." I'm just like, "Why?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? I was that guy. I, I'm that guy. If I drink, I can't play a G chord. I mean, so so like I have to. The, you saw me have a beer while we were talking here. Um, if it, um, it's funny to see. You know, like. The band would say the same thing, and I'd say, "Here's here's my tickets. You guys can have them." I'd just get a sandwich, you know. Yeah. And can I have Diet Coke all night long? Um, yeah. <laughs> I have them make me coffee. That's yeah, crazy. I'm insane. I used to tell I I, I used to pick out the people in my uh, in my sort of circle of friends who I knew were the coolest, and yeah. I knew if they were going somewhere, other people would go too. That's and it. I would tell them, "Come, and I'll get you in for free," which was easy. But I would tell them, "There's yeah. also free." I would say, "Come, it's free." And uh, um, it's free for you, and there's uh, there's free drinks, and so they get there, and I and and some, usually they wouldn't mention anything about the drinks, but if they said, "Hey, what? I thought there were free drinks." I go, "Oh, here you go," and I'd give them my drink ticket. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. <laughs> Just to get them to go. Winning. But um, yeah, because you know, you know, you t- we we used to do those places where we'd get a uh, you know, a cut of the door, and yeah. uh, they wouldn't pay anything, but they'd give you a cut of the door. Oh which, yeah, a yeah. cut of the door, and I I use quotations I, for our podcast listeners. And let me tell you something. Be smart enough to put your person at the door. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, you see four hundred people in there. Oh yeah, you got twenty bucks. <laughs> at that makeout room, you know they were open before the sh- before it became like a music venue. They were very bar that people be drinking yeah. all day. And so, uh, yeah, come on, know, cough it up. They tend to around. They'd say, "Hey, if you guys want to stay, you got to pay ten bucks." You know, and someone yeah. just yell, you know, some of obscri- some of uh, you know obscenity. Uh, <laughs> Some profanity at you yeah it's like get the yeah, get the bouncer know. and i'll pay you ten dollars you know yeah yeah you'd yeah. be like all right well have a good show yeah <laughs> yeah but you know yeah. you can't replace those fun times all right no, you can't well we've yep. reached the end of our episode here uh i will try to salvage what i can from this and i'm sure we can salvage something i actually uh ended up recording the skype session as well um, so hopefully we get two sources of audio and two sources of video so go. I can at least do something and maybe that will be the procedure going forward. Uh, yeah, you've been a great sport and, uh, we've loved yes, having you on the you. show. I have told this to many of our guests. I'll tell this to you as well. Uh, if you have anything to plug in the future, you want to come back, you want to talk, you just want to, you know, come on and hang out. Like, uh, you're more than welcome. And, uh, yeah, thank if you, we man. ever have the super rare vintage amp request i will uh i'll shoot you an email or a message and be like hey you want to talk some vintage amps because uh yeah we do occasionally get into those kinds of discussions where 
I am not an expert. And I, the first thing I say is like, no. I know enough, but I don't know enough. Like, I don't know enough, you know? Um, in fact, I think one of our first, first episodes or something was on Dumble. And it's one of our most downloaded episodes, but it's hilarious. Cause it's like, I listen back and like, I know way more now than I did then. And I still yeah. don't know enough to really like have a decent conversation with an aficionado on it. So sure. And I, I know this come back sometime. Dumble. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. It was uh, it was good having you on. Uh, I have been David. I've been Jim. I've been HW. And we have been Practical Guitarists tonight.